Welcome to the Jonathan Shuttlesworth podcast. To stay connected, go to revivaltoday.com. And now, here is Evangelist Jonathan. I want you, if you have your Bibles, open it with me to Acts. I'll go even a little earlier. Go to Mark chapter 16. I had kind of an interesting message to preach tonight that the Lord laid on my heart on the drive up. I had another thing, another direction I was going to go, and I felt like there was going to be a lot of pastors and evangelists and people called into the ministry. So on the second to last night, I've entitled this Seven Keys to Impactful End-Time Ministry. Seven Keys to Impactful End-Time Ministry. I've never preached this before and was just, you know, I have about an hour and seven-minute drive from my hotel room. And uh, it gave me a lot of time to think on, on the Bible and on this message. So I, I believe this is going to help even, even if you're a Christian or business owner. What is the purpose of the church? What's the point of all this? Do we come here and just as a safe place, as an oasis from all the chaos in life? Is that the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of the church? What's the purpose in the ministry? I think a lot of, I think a lot of pastors don't grow, not because they don't, uh, not because they're bad people or they don't pray or they don't study. They don't know what a pastor is. You know, if you're a plumber and you think your job is to carry plumbing tools around and then drink water, you're not going to do very well in the plumbing business. doesn't matter how much you study or anything. And if you don't know what the point of something is, you're never going to do well. So if you think your job as a pastor is to have Sunday and make sure you have a very well-organized service. I'm not trying to be critical, but I've grown up in church my whole life. I think most pastors, whether they'd say it or not, They think the goal in being a pastor is to have a Sunday service that's fairly well attended. There's no hiccups. There's good music. There's no problems with the video announcements and then a nice concise message. And then people are dismissed on time. I was at a service in, um, in the Southwest. I was on vacation, but it was Sunday. So I went to church and I was sitting in the back and the guy, they had the assistant pastor preaching at this church. It was the first time I ever went there and uh, it was not a spirit filled church. It was just like a community church. So this guy is preaching on Psalm 23. And when he gets to the part, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runs over. He said, I can tell he went off his notes. He was doing everything right by the book. You could tell the pastor put him in charge. He was just making sure he did a nice clean service. And he started talking about, he said, when I was in, growing up in church, he said, if, if there was a young person that was really passionate for God, they would use a term called this, this guy's on fire for God. And he said, that's what they used to say about me when I was a teenager. And he started tearing up. He was in his 30s. I leaned over to Adonis and I said, this guy is spirit-filled. Whether you're allowed to be spirit-filled in this church or not, this guy is. And then he started telling about the encounter he had with God as a young person and then how that drove him into the ministry and he's starting to cry. And then I leaned back over to Adonis and I said, if this guy's not careful, he's going to lose his job because he's going to let the Holy Spirit loose and they're going to, they're going to kick him out. And then he said, he got to that point where he's going to cry. And he said, now I see we're about out of time, so I'm not going to get into it. But it's 12.05, uh, and I, I know we need to go and get the parking lot clear for the next group. And then just went completely off the, uh, I would call it off the rails. And then his pastor would probably call it back on the rails. Because the Holy Spirit was leading that, where if you knew how to flow with the Holy Spirit, you could have a blowout service. If that guy would have finished his testimony and prayed for people. But he thought his job is to be done at 12.05. It's not to win souls. 
You know, there's churches, they'd be upset if you had 41 new people come to the altar, but the service went over and it jammed the parking lot up. They'd be more upset about that than happy that the people got saved. So people become uh, company men as pastors. Then as an evangelist, there's evangelists. They don't know what an evangelist is. They think the job is to, you're basically a traveling guest speaker. You give the the pastor a breather on Sunday and uh, uh, give a nice message and kind of a change of pace. And and you're you're not, you know, they call you an evangelist if you travel, but most evangelists are traveling guest speakers. They don't know that their job is to go into a church and basically blow it up, not in a Hamas type way, but in, in a spiritual type way, like, I'm surprised I got a laugh, kind of a little too soon, a little too close to October 7th, but I thought I'd roll the dice. Uh, come in and just light it up like uh, Paul did in Ephesus, where he started with 12 people, and by the time he was done, that whole city had been shaken by the power of God. There's a guy, um, not you, Brother Nate, but there's another guy, and I said it to him nicely because I like him, but he, he bills himself as a revivalist. And then he'll put, you know, November schedule or let's say October schedule, October 6th, Sunday morning, October 13th, Sunday night, 6 p.m. And then one more service, October 23rd at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday night. Well, you can't have revival 7 p.m. to 8.30 on a Wednesday at one church. There's no such thing as that. There's no city that gets changed in 90 minutes. In fact, I'm going to read a manifesto that I wrote. It's a little different than Ted Kaczynski's. But I got tired of this. The Bible says in the last days, they'll have a form of godliness, but they'll reject the power that would make them godly. Have nothing to do with people like that. So I wrote because I started to get invitations. Here it is. And uh, I don't like the invitations. Someone saw me on television or whatever, and they, I'm not in that system. You know, I had a guy... If you call me from Chicago and you say, we should do some meetings. Let's do a Friday and Saturday. Chicago doesn't need a Friday, Saturday. Chicago needs about three months of morning and night to drive the devil out. It's this close to being a failed state. You're not going to change anything Friday night and Saturday. There's no point in even going. Even this, what we did this week, would probably be the bare minimum of what's worthwhile. And I've, I've had to switch things up now that I have a church. You're going to see uh, the only reason we were not going to stay longer is because I'm going to be, I'm going to preach from tomorrow night through Sunday morning. I'll preach in three different cities between Friday night, El Paso, 10 a.m. and 7 p.m., and then Sunday morning at our church in Fort Worth, and then I'll be in uh, Cabinda, Angola for the Tuesday night service with Bishop Dagg through Saturday. I'll be on three continents in, in, in just a few days. But when I was only an evangelist, You know, what did we do here? I forgot where I was at. We had a five-week meeting. You know, I have a book coming out. I think it's going to sell about two or three copies. It's called Revival and Five Reasons Why Your Church Will Never Have One by Jonathan Shuttlesworth. And it deals with the fact that it's not the devil that you fight in the ministry. It's the, Jesus didn't have any problem with Satan. And it wasn't a coalition of hookers and drug dealers that got together to crucify Jesus. The people that hated Christ were the established religious order. In fact, if you read it in John chapter 9, when Jesus healed that blind man and the the religious leaders came and said to his parents, is this your son? What did they answer? He's old enough. Ask him for yourself. 
The Bible tells you why. Because they knew that anyone claiming that Jesus was the Messiah was kicked out of every synagogue in the country. So there's this religious thing. That's what Jesus fought. Jesus, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus was very kind to sinners, but very harsh to religious people because they were the ones that were the problem and nothing's changed today. You know, uh, why, why were we able to have a five-week revival at this church back in 2000, what was it, 12? 2012. Because you had a pastor that's an abnormal pastor. He, he actually, you had a pastor that liked being in church, which is a novelty. That's why you watch in another month, the first flake of snow drops, and there's a ticker that goes across the bottom on WBZ or whatever channel you're watching. Canceled. Uh, first Baptist, Second Baptist, First Methodist, First Congregational. It's like the second the snow falls, the pastors and their wives get excited. We don't have to go to our own church because they've turned it into something they don't like. That's not how church is supposed to be. Church is supposed to be a place. Like David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And that's been the joy of preaching this week. I'm not preaching to a bunch of people that are here against their will. And every night when we close the service, we say, how many know we need to be faithful to the house of God? No, people are coming because there's something being released here that is life-changing. It's the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what shook and overthrew the Roman Empire. And it's still the only hope for the United States of America today. If you believe it, can you clap your hands and give the Lord a mighty shout? So I'm not looking to criticize, and I, I don't know, I know uh, I went to Bible school with Evangelist Nate Pimento. I know he's spoken here. I know your pastor. I know a few other people. This is not geared. I didn't ask who's coming tonight. I'm, and this is not meant to be a rebuke. But there's a reason America's in the shape that it's in. I mean, I was, I was on uh, Newberry Street today and walked by. you got a beautiful stone church with a massive rainbow flag across the front. Now, think. I was thinking of this when I was walking. Even if you're pro-gay marriage, how do you have a display celebrating gay marriage that's bigger than the cross? There's no Christian anything that's in the display. So even if you believe in that, do you believe the central theme of the Bible is man-on-man marriage or or, uh, sexual relation? For that to be the point, there's a major problem. What caused that? What allowed that wickedness in? What's doing that in Canada? You can condemn that all you want. It's not going to go away because you condemn it. Some vacuum was opened up that that wickedness filled. And the vacuum is if if ministers don't know what their job is, then it opens up a vacuum in that nation. But the reason I'm preaching this is I believe that God out of even this meeting, God is going to raise up strong men, strong women, the the Bible school students that are here, people that are just volunteering in their church. God's going to put his hand on people tonight and you're going to leave this place and be a harvester in Christ's field and make an impact on your generation in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if that's, if that's ringing with, true in your spirit, go ahead and do what you're already doing. Take 15 good seconds, clap your hands, give the Lord a mighty shout. And since I have to say some unpleasant things, I figured I would just dress like Mr. Rogers to soften the blow, kind of have my wardrobe balance out my comments. There was about two or three places that I went to to preach that I found out after I got there that they had charged tickets for me to go. And I'm seeing that all the time now, that there's 
$25 regular admission, $50 VIP. How do you justify having VIP seating for money? How do you balance that with the warning in James not to give preferential seating to the rich? And then for $100, you can meet the preacher. You could meet Jesus for free, so you must be freaking awesome. <laughs> Guys opening blind eyes, and you could just go up anytime you wanted, but you, you got to pay to meet you. Nice to meet you, Frank Sinatra. <laughs> so this is what I wrote. I wrote an important message from me. I don't do conferences, and from here onward, refuse to speak at any events that charge tickets to hear the word of the Lord. By the way, any place I found out that had charged tickets without telling me, what are you going to do? You're going to cancel two hours before? I could have, but I preached, but I didn't take any money. I, I didn't take any money of any of the places that I went. I don't do conferences, and from here onward, refuse to speak at any events that charge for tickets to hear the word of the Lord. I have no interest in them. These types of meetings are killing the church in America. I do week-long revivals, minimum. Grow the crowd, new people getting saved, etc. That's my thing. If you're not interested in that, I completely understand and love you. Just the same, if I come to a city, I come to see it shaken, which can't be done in one or two nights. You know, Fitchburg got shaken that first meeting. You have a church of 120-some people, and you have 327 new people saved, and it's not that big. You had drug dealers get saved. You had their clients get saved. I remember almost every night, uh, Brother Jay and Brother Steve would be crying, pointing at somebody at the altar. Do you know who that is? I, I mean, I never thought I'd see that guy come to church, let alone come to the altar. You can shake by preaching. You can shake a city. By preaching, you can shake a city. Ministers don't think they think you have to get into other stuff. The preaching of the gospel. Billy Graham shook America by preaching. Billy Sunday shook this nation. Billy Sunday got up in Chicago and prophesied the day will come where the streets of Chicago will run well, where alcohol will run down the streets of Chicago like a river. And people thought he lost his mind. He was always preaching against alcohol because alcohol broke his home as a child, took his father out of the home. He preached against it, railed on it, and then prophesied that one night. People thought he was nuts. Then they passed prohibition, largely because of him turning the heart of the country through his preaching. And federal agents came to Chicago busted open the vats of wine and whiskey and everything else and dumped them out in the streets of Chicago. And they reported in the Tribune that it ran like a river right down the street that Billy Sunday prophesied it would run down. Don't ever let, if you're called into ministry, don't get around these people. That, yes, there's the Bible, but we also need blankets and socks and water bottles. And that stuff's all good. But I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it alone is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. If you believe it, can you say amen? Which can't be done in one or two nights. Ask any pastor who's had me and they'll let you know. I charge nothing and pay for all my own travel and expenses because people see the jet and they get nervous. We receive a no pressure offering for our ministry, which believe it or not, is in the Bible. Honorariums and pre-agreed to amounts are not in the Bible. What's your suggested honorarium? We don't receive offerings, but we'll give you a good honorarium. What's your suggested honorarium? I'm not a prostitute. I don't have a suggested rate. The Bible says, let each man give as they're directed by the Spirit. Let who give? Each man, not the board. That's socialist. Our board, we give this much for Wednesday nights. Who runs your church? Bernie Sanders? The offering is not to bless the speaker. 
The offering is so each person in the auditorium has an opportunity to hear. Let each man give as he's directed by the Spirit, not reluctantly or in response to pressure, so that the people can come into a covenant with God. Can you say amen? amen. I, pr- I pray for people in my meetings because people need prayer. So if you want the thing over at 8.35 p.m., kindly call someone else. The size of your church does not matter to me. Earlier this year, I began a meeting at a new church with 32 people in attendance on Sunday morning. I would take a new church with a hungry pastor over a big church with a satisfied pastor any day of the week. If you're a younger minister that's here, you can't wait till you get invited to bigger churches. And then when you do, there'll be some of the most disappointing meetings that you'll ever have. Because there's no interest. They have everything figured out. We do this. We're done by this time. The buses leave at this time. They, they're not looking. They're not hungry. They're happy with where they're at. How, why did we have a revival with Pastor Brian in 2012? He went, we're up to 140 people. And it, no, I, he was telling me right from the beginning, let's believe that God's going to move. I want to see the altars packed with people. When you can come into alignment with somebody like that, you can have a great meeting. Can you say amen? amen. If your staff hates being in church, and complains about extra meetings, let's just be friends from afar. I have a whole chapter in that book that's coming out about why your church doesn't have revival. It's the staff. I can spot, and that was the difference when I came here. It was like all the staff was newly saved. Brother Jay, Brother Steve, they love, you know, (laughs) Brother Steve, I remember him like upset that we wouldn't add a third service. Because we started doing teaching on, so many people were getting saved, we were doing uh, noon services on faith, and then the evangelistic services at night at 7 p.m. Uh, Brother Steve came back one time and goes, hey, some people can't make noon. What do you think if we add a 3.30? Right, nah, I don't know, man, three a day, that, that's a oh, Come on, we should do it. Think about doing three. Every time Pastor Brian announced we were extending another week, it was a standing ovation. People were throwing hymnals in the air. How many of you remember that? I'm not, I'm not making it up. Well, you can't have that. If you're a pastor or an evangelist and your staff hates being in church, I'm telling you, if you took me to a church for the first time and had me preach, within 12 minutes of preaching, I could probably tell you who the staff is. No, no hunger. The Bible says, blessed are they that are and for they shall be. You don't get anything not hungry or thirsty. And I'm telling you what you've seen the Lord do in our ministry. We don't keep people around that aren't hungry or hate being in church. We have a mostly young staff who love being in church, love the work of the Lord. We treat them very well. You have to have people that love church. Old preachers loved being in church. I was raised around ministers that did not, church was not a distraction from their life. Let's get this out of the way. And then I go, I'm a, I'm a little league referee the rest of the week and we're having a tournament. Their life, their life was fully invested in the church. Leaving my assignment at Revival Today Church is a big deal. And at 43 years old, I'm now doing everything in my power to ensure I've spent my last day with unserious people in unserious situations. If you're looking to give someone $2,000, airfare, a nice hotel room, take them out to dinner, have a service and be home by 9 p.m., I'm not your guy. 
However, if you're desperate to see your city shaken by the power of God, and if your heart bleeds for lost souls, I'm very interested. For a revival, Jonathan. And so I'm telling you that because if you're a pastor, you should, you should get into it seriously. If you're an evangelist, you should get into it seriously. It is not something that you do a little bit or here or there. I have a church and then we also. America is at a tipping point right now. And if there are not serious pastors and serious evangelists, and if you're a youth pastor, you should be serious. Pastor Jay that's at our church, our youth group started with about 30-some kids. We had 160-some students in one night and 107 first-time decisions for Christ. And then out of that, it dropped back down to about 80, 90, just over 100 young adults. You should be looking to win the lost, set people free. We had a girl in the young adults group. She, it didn't happen with me. It happened in youth group. She was a, a transgender. And already identifying as a boy, born a girl, identifying as a boy. She hated, her mom brought her, she hated it. And then she came to youth group. Pastor Maddie and Pastor Jay befriended her. She came to three services. And then she said after three services, when something touched me. And I felt whatever that was that made me feel that way, just get up and leave. And she got delivered. Gave her testimony. Last Sunday, her whole family was there, even ones that didn't go to church, to see how Jesus had changed their life. If you're in youth ministry, have a Holy Ghost youth group. If you're young adults ministry, it's not all pizza and Pepsi. You should deliver the word. You should heal the sick. You should cast out devils. And if you'll do that, God will use you to destroy the work of the devil in this last period of time. Can you say Amen. So I want to, uh, Mark chapter 16, what is the ministry? What's the point of doing this? What are you supposed to do? Well, I always like going to what Jesus said. Mark 16, verse 14, still later, Jesus appeared to the 11 other disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those that had seen him after he'd been raised from the dead. Then he commanded them. Everybody say commanded. This isn't like try when you get around to it if you have time. He commanded them. Go into all the world. Lord, send them in. No, you go into all the world. Compel them to come in. There's too much room in my house. You don't, well, hopefully we'll have more people next Sunday. You send people out. We're doing a hunter's outreach in Pennsylvania this Sunday. We're giving away a side-by-side to whoever gets the biggest buck. We're giving away a rifle this Sunday. We're giving away uh, an elk hunting trip. Why? There's people, we did that with motorcycles in May. We gave away a Harley Davidson. What's the point of that? There was a guy, he would not come to church. Then when he found out we were giving a Harley Davidson, he told his daughter, I'll come that Sunday, but I'm only coming for the motorcycle. But guess what? That's like saying, I'm going to try heroin once. Doesn't work like that. If it did, I'd do a little to lose weight for Christmas, but you can't do it that way. Not the best thing to be on camera saying. <laughs> I'll come one time. He came. He, he wore an emblem on his necklace from another thing that he uh, belonged to, basically to just let it know. I'm here for the motorcycle. I'm not with this. Sat there with his arms crossed. But then three or four weeks later, I saw him back. Then when I was in Arizona with my wife, I put the service on, actually just to make sure everything was going okay. And my Uncle Ted was preaching for me. And he goes back to this guy, shaved head, big muscles, who, who, you know, is just staring him down. He said, sir, would you mind if I told you something from the Holy Ghost? The guy nodded his head without breaking an expression. 
He said, you have a problem in your body and touched his belly here and then touched his chest here. And I was thinking, boy, Uncle Ted, I hope you're right or this guy's going to suplex you. He said, is that so? And the guy went like this. He said, stand up and Jesus is going to heal you right now. I watched that guy start crying, go out under the power. He didn't even know what going out under the power was. And then at the altar to receive Christ. He's an usher sitting there with his family. He's been coming for a year. Because if you go out and get them, God will honor your efforts to go out. Man, I feel like tonight's going to be a great night. There's a good feeling in here. Somebody say, go into. Let me, let me, uh. I'm trying to think what, how much I want to show. Let me show you the plane because there's new people every night. And then I'm going to show you why the Lord gave it to me. So watch these two videos. Don't storm out after the first one. At least watch the second one and then storm out. <laughs> so this got delivered two Mondays ago. And then now you're going to see why the Lord did it. There's no shortage of money. It's just in the wrong hands. God is going to do something about that in 2023. I said God is going to do something about that in 2023. Groundbreaking generational financial testimonies. The wealth that's being kept in cisterns, not secured by wicked men, will be tapped this year and flow like a mighty river into the hands of the right. Groundbreaking generational financial testimonies. The kind you'd hear about once in a lifetime in church will become the order of the day in 2023. Financially speaking, 2023 will be an extra bad year to be wicked and an amazing year to be righteous. I could go think about it. My grandma, we buried her on Tuesday and I didn't have to miss a service. Went down to the funeral, stayed with the family for the meal, and then I could fly right back up 11 minutes away from here. So when people say, what does a preacher need a jet for? See, anytime you hear somebody ask that question, they don't understand what a serious minded minister does. Why is it okay for the CEO of, of a, a DraftKings to have a jet? Is that more important than the work of the ministry? But see, if people, it's not really their fault. If they've only been around unserious people in the ministry, that all ministry is preaching Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and then chilling to the next service, then you don't, you don't actually don't even need a bicycle. But then if you're serious, there's no doubt in my mind if the Apostle Paul, you know, Paul didn't have an airplane. Yes, he also didn't have lace-up shoes. He, he didn't have a microphone. So, I mean, if you're going to go by that, then you're going to have to shed a lot of the things you're using. There's no doubt in my mind that if the Apostle Paul was here, when you look at that guy's commitment to preaching and the ground that he covered on foot and on ship, there's no doubt in my mind that that guy would be using every available means to get the... I bet you he's up in heaven going, Jonathan, I know you're thinking you're doing a lot. If I was down there and had access... 
to YouTube and a plane, there wouldn't be anybody left that wasn't a Christian. And so when I finish preaching tomorrow night and say goodbye and leave, let's say we get there at about, uh, to take off at about 11.30. Starting tomorrow night, 11.30 p.m., this is my next four days. Play, play it real quick. El Paso, 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. Fitch, uh, Fort Worth, 9 a.m. Then I'll take that jet to Atlanta, board an Air France flight, go to Paris, then down to Luanda. Then I have to charter a jet there to get to that little place. And then I join Bishop Dagg. I'll get there two hours before the service starts, Tuesday night. And we're crusading Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, during Thanksgiving. Because there's not Thanksgiving there. So my wife and kid already know. I'll make it up to them in the future. That's why what I'm telling you about being serious-minded about the ministry. Now, you can't manufacture opportunities. There was a day I, I wouldn't have done it. There would have been no need for me to have a plane. I, I needed a car. I could drive to my meetings. I was preaching in New England and New Brunswick. There's nothing wrong with starting small. But scripturally, there is something wrong with staying small. Because everything God touches is anointed to grow. The Bible says that the kingdom of God, first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn on the ear. The first commandment God gave man was not don't commit adultery or don't do drugs or don't curse. That's all commanded. The first command that God gave man was be fruitful and multiply. The same way you're commanded to live holy, you're commanded to multiply. So I want you to catch this tonight. If you are in your small beginning phase, this isn't to condemn you. I would that stuff was so far off. In fact, the man that gave me that plane, he told me, Judah One is the name of the company. They said, We're acquiring a Falcon 50. We're gonna, we're gonna refurbish it and give it to you in two years. If he'd have given it to me two years ago, I'd had to give it back. It's $21,000 to fill up with fuel. I can't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't afford an airplane hangar. Can't just park it out in the street. Although I'd like to. I love that thing. I'd like to taxi it to my daughter's school, drop her off, go get groceries. But you're, it's illegal. Uh, I, I Googled it just to be sure. But look how the Lord did it. Why? Because I was not at no point in my ministry, including tonight, have I ever said, I'm very, you know, I don't really think we can go any further. I don't know anybody that's doing what we're doing. Oh, no. I'm actually going to fly to meet a guy in Angola that makes the best day I've ever had. His worst day is 10 times better than my best day. There'll be half a million people at that crusade in live attendance to hear the gospel. The pastor's training will fill an arena. I'm making a point. I will not be satisfied where I'm at. I want to see who's doing the most for the Lord. I want to get around them, and I want to grow. I want to go higher. And I believe you're here on a Thursday night. It's not Easter or Christmas. You're here because there's something in you that I'm thankful for where God's brought me, but I'm not content to stay there. I'm going to honor God's command to grow in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if that sounds like you, go ahead, take another 30 seconds. Give the Lord on this great Thursday night. Hallelujah, man, this is a great night. God's anointing people right now. Go into all the world. There would be no way to do that. You cannot preach in Fort Worth. There's no way. I have to, I have to use that jet to, to make my flight in Atlanta. I would not make it by air. I can barely make it with the jet. So 
That's, that's why these things are here. The internet is not, was not created for pornography. It was created so it can have an extra thousand people watching online right now. People watch, you watch, you watch, because there's nowhere I've gone that this hasn't happened. I'll go to that place, Cabinda, that I've never heard of up until last week. And there'll be somebody that says, we watch you on YouTube. I was in, uh, I was in Nevada, and I went to go eat in Las Vegas. And I walked into the restaurant, and a guy from South Korea, you don't meet a lot from North Korea, a guy from South Korea goes, are you famous pasta from America? I said, uh, what, did you watch me with past, you know, he, he thought, no, from Florida. He said, are you famous pastor from Florida? I said, I knew what he meant. I said, did you watch me with Pastor Rodney Howard Brown? He said, oh, yeah. He said, during the, um, during the COVID lockdowns, he said, we all watched you and him in South Korea at the stand. Would you mind if I got a picture with you? You know, when I went back to Las Vegas this summer, I walked into one of the fine stores at one of the, the, the uh, hotels. And the security guard walked over to me and put his hand on my shoulder. I was thinking, I didn't take anything. <laughs> Big guy. He goes, do you mind if I get a picture with you? I said, I'm not like, maybe you think, I'm not like uh, anything. He went, no, I, I know who you are. He said, I watched you on the stand with Pastor Rodney. He said, I was living with my girlfriend at the time. We just got married because we were listening to you guys preach. I gave my life to the Lord. I, he told me what church he went to. I want to show my wife that. I, then he FaceTimed. I was hoping the guy didn't get fired because he was being like his unprofessional FaceTimed his wife. Look who I got with me. You know, meanwhile, the store's just completely unguarded. You could run out with whatever you wanted. He was so happy. Asked if I'd pray for him in the store. That was so cool to do at a casino. Would you pray for me? Sure. Grab his hands in the name of Jesus and pray over his body. Then other employees come around and go, that's cool. Two other people asked for prayer that were there. Could we also have prayer? Let me tell you something. America is far from too far gone. America is overripe to have the greatest revival that it's ever had. That's why the Lord's having me preach this tonight. It's not, I've done better than you and here's why. No, this is an impartation that wherever you're at now, thank God, but you're not going to stay there. You're going to multiply, not by might, not by power, but by the unlimited grace of God that's on your life. Say it with me. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. To who? Everyone. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. How come you Christians can't keep your religion to yourself? It's against our religion to keep our religion to ourselves. We're under orders from Christ. It's not like other religions. We're just, you know, we're in this group. If you don't want to be in it, that's fine. Go and tell them, I died for them. For how can they call on him whom they've never heard? I might as well hit this while I'm at it too. You're going to have to reject any kind of teaching that, how many of you know we can't go to the Middle East, but God will appear to people in dreams. No, that's not in the Bible. That's lazy excuse for not going to other countries. You have to go and tell them. How can they call on him whom they've never heard? How can they hear unless there be a preacher? How can there be a preacher unless he goes? How can he go unless he's sent? If anything I'm preaching sounds new, talk to anybody from the Assemblies of God that's 85 years old, and they'll tell you, I'm not preaching anything new. American churches used to be addicted to sending people to countries to preach the gospel. People that have never heard. Places where there was no way in that you had to go by steamboat. You know, I read stories. Four people would go. Two would be dead by the time they got there from rickets or scurvy or malaria. And they never even came back. They kept preaching. That is the mission of 
of the church to go and go and go and go till everyone knows that Jesus is alive, that there's a way out, that you don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be suicidal. You can call on the name of the Lord and be delivered from all your trouble. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. That includes Americans. I, I guarantee you if I sat at a meeting in Massachusetts with, with pastors, they would, they would, if the subject came up, how many of you know we need to come out with new ways to reach people because the, you, know, you can't just shout the Bible at people anymore. People don't think preaching works anymore. I come from that generation. You know, preaching doesn't work. We'll do Christian rap and Christian rock and mimes. And instead of preaching about Jesus being crucified, well, someone go like this. Instead of telling them about Satan, we'll have another person. <laughs> this is not about preference. The preaching of the gospel will never grow old. It'll never not work because the Bible says God has anointed the foolishness of preaching to save those that are perishing. You know, this is nothing new. If you read in Billy Graham's day, they mocked him. They told him, it's what you do in the South. Yeah, you've had good meetings in America. It's not going to work in New York. You're coming to uh, uh, Madison Square Garden. You think you're going to just be able to, in your Southern accent, preach about John 3.16? New Yorkers are rich. They're, they're wise. They're not going to listen to that. Nine weeks at Madison Square Garden. And then they had to move it the last night in the Yankee Stadium where 92,000 people came to hear the gospel. And I'm telling you, it'll happen again. God's looking for somebody that'll commit to the way of ministry that works. So then it worked in, uh, it worked in New York. So then he goes to go to London. And the Brits, listen, your little American preaching ain't going to work over here. And then he goes to Wembley Stadium and has a massive altar call. So the next day they write in the paper that when he plays just as I am, when he has just as I am played on the organ, it has a hypnotic effect. And it hypnotizes people to come and get saved. So the next night, when he gave the altar call, he told the organist not to play. No music. And the altar call was triple what it was before. Because the gospel works everywhere. Now, in this generation, probably, and it's not just this generation, probably starting in about 1980, 1990, there's been a move that that doesn't work. Preaching doesn't work. People aren't going to listen to that. I'm telling you, on the authority of the Bible, and what are half a million people going to be uh, to, to see Bishop Dag do? Mime? Skit? No, thank God for all that stuff. It can be accoutrements. They can help people like that stuff. But the power is not on drama. The power is not, how many of you know we should preach the gospel and if necessary, use words? It's necessary, so use words. That's like saying we should eat and if necessary, use food. <laughs> Preaching is declaring forcefully the word of God. And that's why the Bible calls it the foolishness of preaching. Because it actually doesn't make sense. 
for Billy Graham to stand in New York and 92,000 people, including the vice president, Richard Nixon, who came unannounced because people wanted to see Donald Trump's father was there with a young Donald Trump. They wanted to hear this man, and they were coming to hear in his North Carolina accent. Tell the simple message. He wasn't saying anything complex. In fact, Billy Graham has the statement. If you take the gospel and make it profound, the results will be simple. But if you take the gospel and make it simple, the results will be profound. He told him, Jesus loves you. Sin has separated you from God, but he shed his blood so that you can be saved. And down they streamed because the gospel will always be anointed for every generation. We have a church that's right at a, a thousand people on Sunday morning in one place in one service in 22 months. Do you know what we did? We did what the Bible said. What did Paul, t- Timothy was what ministry gift? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. What was Timothy? Pastor. And Paul told Timothy, do the work of the evangelist. There's no ministry gift that's called to not win souls. We have more of a prophetic ministry. No, you're just weird. Every ministry gift and every Christian is called to be a soul winner. Can you say amen? And that was the thing I dealt with for 20 years as an evangelist. Pastors would write off whatever happened in those weeks. And well, you're an evangelist. You know, you can just come in and blow in and blow up and blow out. But then it's different. You know, you can't talk to people like that as a pastor. And I disagreed because the Bible, uh, Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Yes, they're different offices. But the reaping, think of it. Some of the biggest churches in this nation were started by evangelists that came off the field. Tommy Barnett. Phoenix First Assembly, he was a very successful evangelist. Joel Osteen's father, John Osteen, was an evangelist who, who, who started that church from scratch in Houston, and we could go down the line. And what would they do? They didn't switch gears and become just whatever, you know, CBS miniseries pastor, uh, American stereotype pastor. They stayed preaching the gospel, healing the sick. I could play videos of Joel Osteen's father on Sunday morning. With 11,000 people, 14,000 people, calling people out in the gifts, praying for them, and then being healed. That's what built that church. That's what built the churches in America. The thing that shrunk it is kicking the Holy Ghost out. But I thank God there's a new generation that's not ashamed of the gospel and not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. And it is the thing that's going to balloon the church again in Jesus' name. It's doing. That's why I'm glad the Lord spoke to me to start a church. I got to prove my theory. I'm not going to say, well, Jonathan can say some things because he's a visitor. Actually, I actually toned down because I'm in somebody else's house. But that church is mine. There's nobody to fire me. <laughs> nobody to discipline me or anything. So I, I, and you've watched, if you watch on Sunday morning, I definitely let loose more at home than on the road. Because that's the power. Somehow they've convinced people that like, if you really let it rip, you know, that's going to turn people off. Yeah, it'll turn some people off. People get turned off by anything. I mean, we had a lady that full out demonically manifested like month three of the church service. I'm talking not like you had to say, do you think she's demon-possessed? It was like an atheist would be like, that lady has a devil. (laughs) Flopping around and yelling and growling. And I watched a man with a Bible big enough to choke a hippopotamus. Take it, zip it up. (laughs) I'm going to some different church (laughs) where this doesn't happen. But I I can't help that. People left Jesus' ministry. People left Paul's ministry. You stick to what the Bible says. 
And the demonstration, now you can be a goofball. That's not, being goofy is not being full gospel or spirit filled. But you can also, there is a, a demonstration. How many of you watched what No Eye Has Seen, the big conference that we did in July? And then we did it again uh, with Bishop Dad. Did anyone see him anoint people with oil? When he anointed me with oil, what was I wearing? A t-shirt. But I wasn't wearing that at the beginning of the service. The way he anoints people with oil, when he started going down the front row, I turned into... (laughs) Clark Kent turned into Superman. Jacket off, dress shirt off, tie off, kicked my shoes off. I was actually going to wear swimming trunks under my... my, uh, pants, but he hadn't anointed me with oil, so I thought, no, I won't do it, but I wish I did. And then he came by, and I was ready. He wasn't putting a, the sign of the cross or a dot. I'm not, telling, I'm not trying to start a doctrine of dousing people with oil, but he's not the first one to do it. T.L. Osborne did that to Robert Kayanja. When he finished translating for him, he took the big wooden vial of oil this big and said, come here, and poured the whole thing over him. And Robert Kayanja started that church miracle center at the age of 19, started his ministry, and now has the most impactful ministry in East Africa. Now, when he started flinging the oil around, number one, I'm in a rented building. The first three people that he doused, I thought to myself, I'm saying this for the pastors that are here, because how many of you saw Bishop Dagg anoint people with oil? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands for this next one, so keep your hands down. But if I said, how many of you go to a church where if he did that, they, the two people would have immediately come and say, you might do that in Africa. But don't do it here. This is a rented building. And that actually, even for me, I thought, um, I need to tell him, this is a rented building. You know, they play soccer here. It's a professional soccer team's building. They're not going to like it when a guy has a breakaway and slips and slides 175 feet and picks up speed. And when he lands, he smells like an olive garden. (laughs) And I got ready. I was actually thinking, I got got to. And then I thought, no, I'm I'm not going to turn into everything I hate. Whatever happens, if we have to get another building, then we'll get another building. But I actually believe him doing that and bringing African Pentecost to Pittsburgh is going to snap something in the spirit. It's going to run every dead religious person out of this church. And it's going to, and it did. And we didn't lose the building. The owner called me when I had him back and said, man, I want you to know it's great what you're doing there. Keep, you know what he tells me? He said, and he just started coming to church. Believe for big. He said, I saw you broke 1,000. Now go for 2,000. He's not, he's not a pastor or anything. You almost have to get around unsaved people that have an aggression because the Christians celebrate smallness. But those days are over. There's a new generation of Christians that don't celebrate failure and inefficiency. They celebrate the explosive growth of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say, I'm a part of that generation. Well, I better get by going into all the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to who? Everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And these miraculous signs will follow those who believe. Everybody say, I'm a believer. Say, signs follow me. You don't have to be a special apostle or prophet. It doesn't say these signs will follow apostles. We believe these signs were for the first 12 apostles. And then once they died, they don't work anymore. That's your belief. That's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say these signs will follow apostles. It doesn't say these signs will follow the first 12 apostles. It doesn't say these signs will follow the first century of believers. 
It says these signs will follow all who believe. I'm, you know, I'm abandoning my message. I'm, I'm probably not going to get by Mark 16. I had three introductory scriptures, and I'm halfway through the first one. It's called undisciplined speaking. Everybody say, signs follow those who believe. We'll read it in context. Believe what? That believe that Jesus rose from the dead and then are proving that belief. See, if you really believe that, you can't keep it to yourself. Anybody remember that magician team, Penn and Teller? Do you know, who's, who's the big guy? One of them's little and is quiet, and the other one's like 6'8". I think he's from Massachusetts with a ponytail. Which one's Penn? Which one's Teller? Who? Penn's the big one. Penn posted on Twitter about five years ago that he had a guy sitting next to him on a plane, and the guy tried to convert. You know, he's an avowed atheist. And the guy said, has anybody ever told you that Jesus loves you and came and died for you? And he said, I do know that. He said, but I'm an atheist. And he wrote on Twitter, he did a video. He said, that guy probably, you probably thought I snapped at him. He said, I actually have more respect. If you really believe that, then you should do what that guy did. And he said, if somebody's a Christian and they don't do it, I don't believe they're actually a Christian. That's an atheist talking. When you, it's not talking about, oh yes, I believe Jesus is the son of God. No, when you believe in your heart that Christ came, he paid the ransom for everybody's sin. Their problems are wrapped up in the curse and Christ broke the curse. And It's a limited time offer. Jesus is coming back again. And when he comes back, if you've not made your decision, it's too late. That it compels you. You cannot sit on that. You go into all the world and tell people, Jesus loves you. He loves you so much he died for you. If you call on him, he will pick you up out of whatever picture and then put your feet on the rock to stay. Now, look what the Bible says. What's the secret of signs and wonders? They'll follow all who believe, those that are acting on that belief. Do you want to know how powerful this law is? I made a friend. I've made some strange friends in the last year and a half, like people I thought I'd never know. This guy was one of the top people in the Southern Baptist Church. He's an, ev- he's a, a, an evangelist. He's a lawyer. He has an earned doctorate in law. He's not stupid. The Southern Baptist Church condemns speaking in tongues. They believe that it died with the last apostle. They, they, they don't allow people to pray for the sick. So a team of those evangelists from the Southern Baptist Church all went to India to do Baptist crusades. Nope, no prayer for anybody. We're going to preach Christ. We're going to call people to the altar to make a public profession of faith, which is great. And you know what he told me happened? So there's a team of evangelists doing that, Southern Baptists, and when they get done preaching, women from the crowd came up with sick children. And said, would you pray for my child? They were born with this. Or they had visible things wrong with them. Will you pray? Well, what are you going to do? Well, we believe that God doesn't do that. No. They were so moved by the plight of the children that they said, you know, it doesn't hurt to pray. They didn't even pray. Obviously, they didn't pray. Now, in the name of Jesus, I lose the miracle power of God. All they did was give a nice Baptist prayer. But there's a problem. They were acting on that. They were going and telling people about Christ. So even though they might have been trained in seminary that that doesn't work, those Indian women did not go to seminary. And when they heard that there's an almighty God who has all power in his hand, they weren't coming up for a prayer for God to make things nice as they go through this trouble. They're saying, I believe the same Jesus that changed my heart and wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He's going to heal my child of leukemia, of cancer, of whatever they were born 
concerned with. And they said it caused a major problem because, number one, they don't speak English. So they're praying, now, Lord, just give them grace as they go through this difficult time. But the women weren't praying that. They were losing their faith for miracles, and there started being. Kids, deaf ear came open. Lady starts yelling, by what my child can hear. And the Baptist missionaries go, uh-oh. <laughs> we're about to lose our job. We're not allowed to do that. But it didn't happen once. It happened for all the evangelists. So they, he said, we went back to Texas, the headquarters, and told them what happened. And they said, well, we'll make an exception for missionaries. And that's why that guy started coming to my meetings. Because he said, I know that wasn't the devil. I know I didn't open the kid's deaf ear. Jesus is a mighty healer. Now, let that be a lesson to you. Because they're, not only were they not pushing for miracles, they were pushing against miracles. And they still took place. If you will tell people about Christ, you will be amazed what Jesus will do through your life. I'm going to tell everybody here tonight, whether you're in Bible college, whether you're full-time in the ministry, whether you're a general contractor or a school teacher, the people that are here tonight, the people that are watching online tonight, you're going to leave this building. And from now till Jesus comes, you're going to be a wrecking ball to the kingdom of hell. You're going to set captives free. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to cast out devils, not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of almighty God. Come on, if you believe that with me, do what you're already doing. Make the devil nervous. Clap your hands, all ye people. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody say glory to God. These miraculous signs. We'll follow everybody. How many people? The Lord doesn't really use me that way. No, he would. Number one, quit saying that. (laughs) You know, start saying the opposite. Thank you, Lord, for using me. Thank you that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells where? Oh, Lord, anoint our speaker today. I'm already anointed. You're already anointed. I said that to Bishop Dagg before he went to preach. I said, well, it's time to go into the service. I said, I'd, you know, that's how I grew up. You pray for the speaker. Lord, anoint them today. I said, I'd pray that the Lord anoints you, but I think I'm about 35 years too late. Everybody say, I'm anointed. You know how you can say that? Because the Bible says in 1 John, you have an anointing from the Holy One that dwells with you always. And the anointing will break down every barrier. I was telling a lady that's here today that's from Russia. I said, I have an invitation to a Russian church in Moscow. They were watching me and, and want me to come preach. So we'll give you an interpreter if you can get here. I'm going. Meet people in Africa. We love your ministry. How? How can I relate to somebody in Moscow and somebody in, in Johannesburg? They have nothing in common. I certainly don't have anything common, in common in the natural with them. How can I go to the worst part of Philadelphia? as a white preacher from the suburbs and preach to a 100% black crowd that's all from the inner city. I have no inner city experience. And why do they listen? Because it's the anointing that lifts the heavy burden and destroys the yoke of bondage. You don't have to try to relate to people in the flesh. The anointing will break down every wall in the natural that the devil would use to shut out your message. Can you say amen? Everybody say, these signs... We'll follow everyone who believes. Say, I'm everyone. You don't even have to be special. Anybody. Anybody that believes. 90-year-old woman, 
Six-year-old child. We had all-night prayer at our church because I'm just implementing anything I read in the book of Acts. So we did all-night prayer. We do three, uh, one all-night prayer a year and two half-night prayers. So all-night's all-night, 11 p.m. to 6 a.m., and then uh, the half-nights we do 11 p.m. to 2, 2 a.m. So one of the half-nights we finished, and there's a seven-year-old in our church. His name's Tristan. And he prays the whole time. Even when we do all-night prayer, my daughter taps out at about 2.30. I see her walking around praying, and we pray. We don't play light worship music and journal. We pray. Prayer is vocal communication to God. It's not thinking. It's prayer. And so I see Camila praying, but then around 2.30, I don't really see her walking around anymore, and then I look, and she just looks like a fallen Civil War soldier just out. You know, kids can fall asleep anywhere. It looks like all their bones are broken. But this kid, Tristan, man, he never, he, in fact, I saw him still praying at about quarter after four. And I mean, praying. He's baptizing the Holy Ghost. Like this. So I, I went to greet him, like, cause I, you know, show him, man, you're doing a good job. When I waved, he went like this, going to, like, like, leave me alone and pray. So his mother told me when they finished, they went to sleep and then woke up and she took him to the grocery store with her at 10 in the morning. And they're standing in the aisle and at seven, it's not, I'm not saying, I don't want everybody to leave this prayer meeting. There's none of that. We just prayed. As many as are led by the spirit of God, they're the sons and daughters of God. Now what seven year old would do this? He sees another lady in the aisle and he said, mom, the Lord told me to go pray for that lady. She said, then go. So he walks over to this lady that's in her fifties. Taps her. She looks down and waves. And the mom said, I just watched from a distance and saw him say a couple things to her and her nod her head and then go like this. And he laid his hand on her in the grocery store. You know, they're going to have a hard time shutting down Christianity in America. Because if you're a Satanist, you're not going to stop a seven-year-old kid from praying for a, a senior lady. And she said, I watched. He put his hand on her. Kids are bold if they're raised in the right atmosphere. And prayed. And I saw her visibly crying. And then he came back. And she said, I didn't disturb her. I didn't go over and talk to her. But she came over to me in a couple minutes and said, I just, if you're her, his mother, I just want to tell you, you will not know what his prayer did for me today. See, when you get full of the Holy Ghost, you start having eyes. Most people are just completely tunnel vision. Christians, pastors, evangelists, Everybody. They only know what's going on. They're like walking newsletters for their own ministry. They don't know anything that's going on. I was talking about other ministers at a table full of ministers, and they said, I don't even know who these people are you're talking about. I'm talking, they weren't tiny ministers. You're just, yeah, you don't know anything that's not going on in your ministry. You don't go to anybody else's meetings. Obviously, I'm not talking to you. You're at somebody else's meeting. I'm flying to Africa to be in Bishop Dad's meetings. I don't know if I'm speaking or not. I don't care. I'll be happy to not speak. And watch a great evangelistic crusade and pick something up in my spirit. I know what's going on in the body of Christ. I know what's going on in northern Nigeria with Christians getting kidnapped. I know what's going on in northern Kenya on the Somali border. I have eyes. The Bible says in a rebuke in the epistles, it says... That when you become dull spiritually, you become short-sighted and you don't see very far. That's why I have a church in Pittsburgh and my second one's in Fort Worth. Not 25 minutes down the road for people that don't want to drive that far. I know there's more than Pittsburgh and there's more than Pennsylvania. I know about the world. I know about East. I know the difference between Eastern Canada and Central Canada. 
I know, I know people. I know regions. I can tell an African, I can tell what part of Africa they are. I freak people out. They think I'm with immigration. I'll say, are you from the Juba tribe? You know, you, how do you know me? I don't. I said, but I, I've, I've been to your town and, and preached to people there. Oh, all right. All right. I, can tell, I, I can tell Juba from Igbo, from Yoruba, like I can tell Irish from Polish. You see people. You get eyes for people. So that guy getting full of the Holy Ghost, that little kid, he's not just, Mom, when are we leaving? He's looking and scanning the aisles. See, that's what Jesus did. That's what the anointing did in Jesus. When you get filled with the Holy Ghost, your life's not about your wife and your child. I'm not going to be home for Thanksgiving. I told my daughter, thinking she'd be sad. I said, now listen, I'm not going to be home for Thanksgiving, but the week after when I come home, I'm taking you and mom out with Grandpa Tiff and Grandma Judy, and we're going out for a week. I'm not preaching. We're just going to have fun together. She went, I'm glad you're going out. She said, she's 10. There's a lot of work that needs done. Thanks, boss. She gets it. Because when you're, when you're in a non-spirit-filled environment, your, your life becomes about you. Excuse me, pastor. Sound was too loud. It's about you. Everything's you. But when you get in a spirit-filled atmosphere, not when you need a touch. That's the stupidest way to live as a Christian. Have one backslidden church that you attend every Sunday. Then when somebody gets cancer or your kid gets on heroin, then you go to where the power is to go get a touch. Here's a thought. Why not stay in the anointing? Why not live in the anointing? Why not pull a King David and find where Samuel is and hold up with him and let the Spirit of God make you free, keep you free, and bring you to your glorious destiny? Can you say amen? Amen. I did. (laughs) But anyone who refuses to believe will be damned. And these miraculous signs, everybody say miraculous signs, will follow how many people? So I'm telling you, I'm telling you a way that it starts moving. It's not you trying to, just be sensitive. Pay attention when somebody opens up to you. I don't know what I'm going to do. I I got diagnosed with this, and they said it was the treatments were working, and then when they ran these last tests, two more things have popped up. Ben, can you you pull up the video, just because I like it, of that lady that brought her son for prayer that had the tumor in uh, in his bone, and they had cut it out, and then it came back, and they cut it out again, and it was was back. And this was a meeting that we did that broke out in New Mexico, and you had all kinds of Catholic people coming. You know, you're... You're right near Mexico. People are coming, and it was a little different because Catholics are used to confession. So a lot of them would wait after and come, can I have prayer? But they, Catholics have faith. The more Catholics that are in a meeting, the better. Many full gospel people don't believe in the supernatural when it comes down to it. Catholics, they do believe in the supernatural. They burn their toast and see Mary. Look at this. You see what I'm saying? You can work with that. They believe, and when you tell them you're going to pray, they, they, they believe for it. So we started praying. I didn't feel any anointing. I didn't feel like my hand burned. The service was over. But they'd come up, excuse me, my son has a tumor in his arm. Tumor in his arm? I'm already checked out. I'm going to get cheese and crackers. I'm done. I'm not even thinking. But I'll, okay, you want prayer? And I prayed. And I'm telling you, I felt nothing. Let me tell you something. What do you do when you minister 
and you don't feel anything. If you base your Christianity on what you feel, you're not going to do much. We walk by and not by sight's physical feelings. Sight's an enemy of faith. Say this out loud. I'm anointed when I feel anointed. And I'm anointed when I don't feel anointed. You're never wrong when you quote God. And the Bible says you have an anointing from the Holy One that dwells with you always. So when the devil's trying to discourage you, you know, I felt so good in church last night. Then I woke up and I got bad news and I just need prayer. You actually don't need prayer. You need to learn to say the opposite of what the devil's trying to get you to say. And when the, when the bad news comes that's trying to get well, I thought it worked. You say, thank you, Father, that I'm anointed with fresh oil. Thank you that my best days aren't behind me. My best days are yet to come. Now, I'll give you another secret. Say this. The word is always anointed. Anytime I've been asked to pray for someone and I don't feel an ounce of anointing, I just start letting the Bible do the work. Father, I thank you that you said these signs will follow all who believe. They'll lay their hands on the sick and not the sick might recover. Not sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. And sometimes he says wait. And it's in those times we have to learn to trust. No, that's not a Bible verse. They will lay their hands on the sick. Not the sick can recover. Not the sick might recover. The sick will, shall recover. So I'll say, say, and I'm not saying it for the person. I'm saying it for me. Because whatever you talk about stirs that thing up. You know that? Death and life is in the power of the tongue. Whatever is being discussed stirs up an interest in that thing. I've been around people where there's a sport I like. I like baseball. We have people from West Africa on staff. Um, Pastor Abraham that's with me, he's from Ghana. There's no baseball there. But then he'd hear me and Jay, my nephew that's from Massachusetts, talking about baseball. You talk about it, they go, I'd like to go to a game because it stirs up interest in that thing. You go to a club, all the songs are talking about sex. That's the point of the club. It stirs it up in people. When you talk the word, it stirs up the anointing in you. It's the trigger for, for the dormant anointing that's on you. Can you say Amen. So use your mouth. Faith is voice activated. The anointing's voice activated. Jesus spoke to the storm. Jesus didn't trust. I'm just trusting my father. No. He spoke to the storm. Speak it. Death and life's in the power of the tongue. So you say, Father, I thank you with your hand on that you said, when I lay my hands on the sick, the sick shall recover. I'm, I'm, I'm obeying your word right now. It starts putting you in a different mindset. I'm not just praying for people. You told me before you left the earth that if you call yourself one of my believers, don't stand around watching people suffer. Are we supposed to be like Christ as Christians? I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand how they tell you to be like Christ at all these churches, and then they say no miracles. You be like Tiger Woods, but don't let me catch you with a golf club. I don't know what you want me to do. Be like Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Don't play basketball. Jesus, you can't go three paragraphs without bumping into a miracle. Not just at his meetings. When he got done preaching and healing people, he went and found more people to heal. There's a man minding his own business sitting at the pool of Bethesda when Jesus saw him. And knew how long he had been that way. He said to him, would you like to stand up? Would you like to get well? I can't, sir. I don't have anybody to help me. Then Jesus looked at him and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And immediately, 
And we know God's the God of process. No, immediately. He's an immediate God. There's nobody that was sick that was still sick 24 hours later. He didn't heal people through process. He healed them now. Can you say amen? I want you to get that in your spirit. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 3, God wrote this. God wrote the Bible. And he said, if it's in your power to help someone, don't tell them to come back tomorrow. Help them today. Is God a hypocrite? Would he tell you if it's in your power to help someone, don't tell them to come back tomorrow? Then him tell you, no, it's not your time. Find it. Find it in the Bible. I want to see where somebody came for healing and Jesus said, I'm not healing you now. But in another year and a half, I'm going to come back to Capernaum and then I'll heal you. Now's not your time. This is a season of testing. That's not in the Bible. Churches have actually made stuff up so that they don't have to minister to the sick. See, if I'm a pastor, and I am, if I'm an evangelist, and I am, and I tell you that Jesus is a healer, let me, let me do it in reverse. If I tell you that God's a God of process, sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait. Sometimes things, we want things now, but God has a different plan. What does that do? That quelches squelches faith, quenches faith. So then no one's going to wait after for prayer. I've basically talked you into accepting what you have. And I've made myself an easy job. I basically, because I don't want to pray for people. I don't want to fast and pray. I don't want to get into all that. I preach so that you're not hungry for it. But then what happens if I start preaching? I ran into this when I was 20. Jesus is a mighty healer. He parted the Red Sea. He kills cancer. He opens blind eyes. Then you start have people come up. Excuse me, I'm legally blind. And you think, oh, shoot. They actually believed what I said. I didn't mean for you to like take, I didn't mean now. I meant he could. Go see Benny Hinn. I'm just starting. And then the people would get healed. Because when you tell, see, that's what people want to avoid. If you tell them he's a healer. If you tell them, He destroys addiction. If you tell him he's a cancer destroyer, the Bible says faith comes by and hearing by. How's anybody going to get any faith from half the sermons people preach? Today we're going to talk about the power of saying no. How many know we need to be in control of our own time? That's true, but that's not (laughs) the message of the epistles. When you start coming up and telling people, and I'm telling you it's been the joy of the last two years of my life to watch it grow. As you come every Sunday and tell people, if you have a child that's here and they're on drugs and you haven't seen them for six weeks, when we pray, God's going to do something in the spirit and bring your son back home. Then just start. People should get faith. They shouldn't lose faith when they hear you speak. Faith should come when they hear you speak. Yeah, like Brother Shambach. Listen to how he tell that whole tent full of people. There's nothing the devil's done to you that God can't do something about it right now. I don't care if you're. People would get so much faith that it would start freaking him out. He had a lady drive to his tent and brought her husband in a bed sheet. He had stage four cancer. The cancer was leaking out of him. He was so skin and bone, she just carried him in a sheet and plopped him on the chairs. Will you pray for my husband? Do you know, keep this ever before you. If you forgot everything I said all week, don't forget this. If you're in the ministry, there is a broken heart on every pew. People are going through hell. People are going through the worst things in their life. Some of you, the only... 
The only positive thing they're going to hear in the week is from your message. Their husband hates them. Their children hate them. Their boss hates them. They're in court. They need, they don't need to hear negativity. They need somebody to tell them like Jesus did. Come unto me, all ye that are weary, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly at heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Come, we're going to pray. God's going to set you free. He's a chain-breaking God. He's a yoke-destroying God. He's a dead man-raiser. He makes the blind to see. Tell him about Jesus. Don't sell him American Jesus. Tell him about Jesus, the almighty King of kings and Lord of lords. These signs will follow those that believe. Everybody say, I'm a believer. believer. Do you have the lady from New Mexico? So this is like the kind of thing, if you'll just give God a chance to move. I said, I don't really feel qualified. I didn't feel qualified to pray for a kid that's got a tumor in his bone that's grown back three times. I was done. I was shaking hands with people. Excuse me, my son has a tumor. She doesn't even come. That was like her first service. Just pray. A lot of times that person has enough faith for both of you. Oral Roberts used to have people that watched his show put their hand on the screen when he prayed. He called it a point of contact. The the power of agreement. Sometimes people have just always had people not agreeing with them. They want to see their son well. Doctor says, listen, you need to stop. It's not going to happen. Their husband says, knock it off. They just need somebody to to at least get into neutral. All right, I'll pray with you. So, hey, listen, sometimes we just have to accept. And you know what's sad? I don't know if these people will be in heaven or not. Can you imagine being a minister charged to do what Jesus said, to lay hands on the sick and see him recover, and somebody comes to you? What if that lady comes up? My son has a tumor in his arm. Are you a member of this church? No, no, I'm Catholic. Okay, well, I'm not going to pray for you. You've only been in this church once. We need to remember that sometimes God allows these things to teach you. What verse is that? Let me just crack this skull one time. Say out loud, suffering Suffering. is not sickness, and sickness is not suffering. Not in the Bible. Now, we use those words interchangeably. I'm suffering with the flu. But the Bible in James chapter 5 has two different sets of instruction. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. What's suffering? Going through. If you were a preacher like me in COVID and you kept preaching and all legal everything came after you, you can't have someone pray that away. Jesus said, in this life, if you serve me, people are going to come after you. So endure it as a good soldier. But are any among you sick? That's different. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't take your persecution in his body. But he did bear all your sickness and all your disease. Jonathan said that God wants everyone healed, but in the early church, they suffered. Not with sickness, they didn't. They went to jail, and then when they went to jail, God broke them out. It's just different. But sickness, sickness was dealt with. You don't have to live in sin. You don't have to live in sickness. You don't have to battle depression. Jesus, by his blood, broke those things off of you forever. I said forever. It is unscriptural. What would happen if somebody broke into my house in Pittsburgh and I was home? 
I said, well, it's a shame that that person's in our house. I hope they leave, but we just have to trust God's will. Who knows? We could end up with me, my Dawson, Camila dead. And really, I would be as much to blame as the person who broke in the house by my inaction. God allows what you allow. I said, God allows what you allow. Yeah, you see the amens drop off. People think that whatever's happening in life is a sign of God's will. Well, you got to remember, God allowed that to happen. God would allow me to go rob the sitco on my way home tonight. But he didn't commission it. God would allow me to go slash everybody's tires on my way out. But it's not his will. You people decide what they're going to do. God doesn't control people's actions. There's actually another character called the devil who goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus said, John 10, 10, the thief comes not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have and have it how? Would you call cancer life abundantly? And I, you know, we'll see if, I don't know why I'm on a mission to turn the crowd against me that likes me. I hate this stuff. You know, I was watching on Twitter on my way up here. They're having a Pittsburgh Penguins game. Pittsburgh's stronger than cancer. No, it isn't. You get diagnosed with cancer, you can wear all the purple ribbons you want. It doesn't do any. The only thing it helps is whoever owns the purple ribbon factory. I get sick of this humanist stuff. Boston strong. You're not stronger than the power of sin. You can't have humanity unite together and build the Tower of Babel to beat the devil. So I don't like that. We're stronger than cancer. No, Jesus' blood is stronger than cancer. Outside of that blood, you're awaiting to be a victim. But I'm not outside of that blood. I'm under that blood, that cleansing blood. I am free, free at last, free forever. And I'm telling everybody, you don't have to be outside of that blood. You're only one prayer away from that blood making contact with your life. And everything changes. Can you say amen? amen? All right. So watch this. This is, and then you get this the next week. Go ahead. Back in 2017, we had found out he had a tumor in his arm that was, I guess you could say it was just growing. In 2019, he ended up having surgery to get it removed. Six months later, we go back to the doctor and it's back. This tumor right here is tumor number two. Um, in November of 2020, we went in and we got surgery to get it removed. May of 2021, we went back and his tumor was back, which is this one, tumor number three right here. In August, when Jonathan came for the summer revival, he was, he prayed over my son for healing. And we go back to, we went back to the doctor in September of 2021. And the doctor told us himself that he was expecting to come in and tell us that he was going to need surgery number three for tumor number three that had came back and was actually very, very surprised whenever he went in and he saw that the tumor was gone, completely gone. There's nothing there. The tumor looks like it's healed. The bone looks completely healed like nothing was even there. There was no surgery that ever happened or anything on that bone. And we just wanted to say thank you because through him, God did his miracle on my son that we literally thought that we were going to have to be going through for the rest of his life tumor after tumor and we were just so thankful that it never became cancerous Can you say amen and then you see the other brothers there see they came just him and her then they come back the whole family's there they want to see 
Who is this Jesus that did this for our family? You can't leave preaching in the realm of theory. You, there has to be a demonstration. I'm telling you, Jesus will destroy heroin addiction out of somebody's life. And I know that's hard to take when your son has been in and out of rehab for three years and stolen all your money. And you basically, I don't even want to try anymore. I'm telling you, Jesus, there is nothing the devil has done that God can't do something about it in one day. He created the whole world in six days. He does not need more than 24 hours to sort out anybody's problem. And as I'm telling you that, there are people that are going to leave here like that woman. She was set up to battle that her whole life, and Jesus took it away permanently. There are people here that you're set up to battle something your whole life. I'm not preaching a God that's going to make, give you, how many know he gives his greatest battles to his strongest soldiers? What scripture is that? He's a burden bearer. He took, turn, turn to, uh, put, put up on the screen, Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. I'm going to read it through verse 17. Matthew 8, 14 to 17. When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. Peter never asked for prayer. She never asked for prayer. Jesus just went around kicking sicknesses, B-U-M, everywhere he went. He hated sickness. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Where do you see Jesus ever make somebody comfortable with their sickness? You know, we all battle things in our body. That's not a scripture. You made that up. I think half the pastors were sponsored by Pfizer. I mean, no, we all battle things in our body. That's not a scripture. Scripture is he took all our sickness and removed all our disease. That's what the Bible says. Can you say amen? amen? Jesus touched her hand and the fever left her. By the way, if you read Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, Jesus mastered all four categories of sickness and disease. Leper, diseases of the flesh and structural makeup, decay of organs, bone problems. Number two, the kid that had the palsy, the servant with the palsy, central nervous system, Parkinson's, early onset dementia, Lou Gehrig's disease, stroke. Then uh, mother-in-law, fevers reside in the blood. COVID attacked the lungs, but COVID's in the blood. That's why you'd get a vaccine in, in your blood was how they tried to deal with it. Diseases of the blood, HIV, hepatitis, diabetes, sickle cell anemia, Anything that resides in the blood. You know, I talked with a doctor that's Harvard trained. When COVID came out, I used to preach this all the time. And I thought, wait a minute, I think I missed respiratory problems. So I told her, I said, now correct me if I'm wrong. And I think I'm wrong. But I always preached out of Matthew 8, 1 to 17. I was telling her that Jesus healed these four people. And it's four categories of sickness and disease. And he mastered all four. I said, but I forgot about respiratory problems. I said, is COVID, do I need to add a fifth category? She wrote back. Oh, my God, I've never seen that before. Yeah, she said, you're right. All sickness and disease can be broken into four categories. Structural, blood, central nervous system. Then what's the fourth one? When Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her, and she got up and prepared a meal for him. 16. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed... How many? 
But he's changed now, right? The Bible says Jesus will change. What does the Bible say about Jesus? Same how long? Yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. So you can slap a rainbow flag up on your church on Newberry Street. That's your thing. But the Bible's still the Bible. And the Bible doesn't need to be altered to fit America. America needs brought up to the level of the Bible. It's the only hope for the nation. That evening, many demons... I'd like to ask the person that. At that church, I want to know. Like, let's just leave the whole gay thing aside. Do you think that the central message of Christianity is to have a 40-foot gay banner? It's not the message. How is there no banner about the resurrection? What do you think the, 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 the doctrines are? I want to know. You th- you've read this Bible, and you think that's the main message of the Bible, is that men should be able to love men and women love That's not it. Even if I conceded that to you, you could not tell me that's the main message. So why, why is that the point? Why is that the thing? It's like, it's like it's been conquered by an enemy and the enemy planted its flag. But I got news for America. I got news for New England. The devil's not going to write the last chapter of New England history or American history. God is going to anoint men and women tonight and they're going to heal the sick, cast out devils, and drive that power straight back out into the Atlantic Ocean. Somebody say, I'm going to do it. Yeah, you're going to do it with the strength of God, with his grace. And, and by the way, don't misconstrue my comments. You don't break that by picketing. I didn't walk by and picket or It doesn't do anything. Heal the sick. Cast out devils. Raise the dead. Preach the gospel. It doesn't make any sense. But for some reason, when you heal the sick, it breaks something in the spirit like that. When you cast out devils, it has like a residual effect in the town. Paul was ministering to individual people. And after he got enough of them set free and the devil cast out and healed, the Bible says they all began to get their idols and, and, and their incantation books and burn them in a public bonfire. We have no record of him preaching against idols. We have no record of him like, I can't believe people would worship idols here. He was preaching Christ, healing the sick, casting out devils, getting people baptized in the Holy Ghost. And at some point, it hit a boiling point where it broke something in the spirit and people said, you know what? I'm not serving the God Artemis anymore. I've been serving that God for my whole life. My father and grandfather, we've never been healed. And this Jesus has done more. That that happened to me in another country. There was a guy that walked in dragging half his body. It was actually the meeting right before I came to to Fitchburg the first time. He comes dragging half his body on a big walker. Found out later he'd been in a motorcycle accident. Hit his head, paralyzed the other half of his body. I'm preaching and wondering how I'm going to close the meeting. I was preaching on the power of the name of Jesus. And when I was out of things to say, wondering, how, you know, I didn't really feel like I'd hit a break in the meeting. I didn't think too many people were going to come for it. This guy stands up and lifts his walker up over his head. Then storms right down to the stage, up the stairs, and asks if he can have the mic. Now, that's a recipe for ministerial suicide. Just go pass the mic around. But I'm telling you, this guy was so forceful. I thought, I don't know what he's doing, but I have a feeling. It feels like the Lord's on it. Plus, I'm out of things to say anyway, so I gave it to him. And he starts yelling in Hindi, lifting his walker up. I didn't know any of that about the motorcycle accident. And then uh, at one point when he was yelling, everyone stood up and started yelling and started rushing the stage. And I was sort of looking for an exit. 
You know, I don't know what he said. He could have said, this guy's come here from America. Are we going to let him out of this building? No. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) Death to the white man. Death to the white man. But when I looked over at my interpreter, he wasn't running. He was crying. And when I looked over at him and he was crying, I said, what's he saying? He said he told everybody about how he was in a motorcycle accident and everyone knows how paralyzed he was. And he said when he was talking about Jesus and the power in his name, all of a sudden all the feeling came back in the other side of my body. And he said, this Jesus has done more for me in five minutes than the Hindu gods have done my whole life. Well, I'm glad he said it (laughs) and not me. And then everybody, we took the altar call number that night by counting how many people stayed in their seats. Hardly anyone. I'll tell you the rest of it as it comes back to me. So then we prayed. People wanted prayer after that. So a lady comes by, Muslim lady, full head wrap, could just see her eyes. And she said, I have breast cancer. I said, put your hand where the tumor is. So she did. And then I put my hand over her hand. I said, tumor, I curse you in the name of Jesus. Come out of this woman's body. And then she, she got a powerful touch, started crying, and then left. And uh, she said she could feel her hand depressed that the tumor was gone. I said, go home and check it. Come back tomorrow night. Let us know how it was. Well, the assistant pastor, a lot of times, like I'm telling you, that's what you fight in the ministry. Oh, her husband is a, is a Muslim. We know him. He'll beat her when he, when he finds out that she went to this meeting. Hey, thanks, Captain Encouragement. <laughs> no, I had a feeling God didn't do all that so she could get a beating. The next night I'm preaching and she's sitting in her seat with her big Muslim husband. I got to be six, five. And he came forward and got saved because that tumor was gone. And I didn't have to convert him. You know, you'll be amazed how much people will love a God that helps their family out. So if you're always preaching how to deal with your, how to, how to just have a good attitude as you get your butt kicked in life, that's not the message of the Bible. He made us more than conquerors. I said he made us more than conquerors. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. The things you're dealing with right now in the world, God gave you something called faith. And if you'll stay in that faith, everything the devil's aligned against your life and your health and your family and your children, you're going to come out the other side having conquered it and tread upon it like dust under your feet. I'm telling you in Massachusetts tonight, there's nothing the devil has set up that God's not going to knock flat on his face tonight. Tonight is a turning point. You're not leaving here to deal with the same stuff. God brought you here to set you free. If you receive that one more time, clap your hands under the Lord. Make a joyful noise. Come on, let it rip tonight in Massachusetts. Hallelujah. Say it right out loud. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Man, I felt the anointing on that. That's a scripture. Say it again. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. forever. Somebody say, heal the sick. sick. That evening they brought many, that's the fourth category, by the way. Sickness that's caused by demon spirits. That evening many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. If you're not going to cast out devils, then they're going to run rampant through the country. You're going to have to put up litter boxes in elementary schools because kids think they're a cat. That's demonic. It's not normal brain function. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command. There was no barf bucket. There was no five-day deliverance class. No one had to pay $399 for a 40-day course. He cast out the spirits with a simple command. 
and he healed how many of the sick? Why did he do it? 17. He, this fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, who said, not he will take. I mean, in one day in heaven, we'll have perfect bodies. It doesn't say he will take. It says he, whose sickness? That includes all of us. So the more personal you make it, the more you'll get out of it. He took Jonathan's sicknesses. You can't put sickness on me. Jesus took it. It's illegal for you to put on me what Christ already took. There's an evangelist from uh, Western Canada from the 1920s. His name was Charles S. Price. He was a lawyer from England. And when he got saved, he looked at the Bible like it was a legal book. That's how he would preach healing. He didn't preach, all, he didn't preach like me, jumping on chairs. He'd just tell people legally, Jesus legally took your sickness. It's illegal for Satan to put the sickness on you. He was like so organized. Everybody got a card when they came in. And you put your sickness that you wanted prayer for on the card. And then he had a rule that you had to fill out at least three messages that you had heard before he'd pray for you. Because so you had enough faith to receive. So he didn't call people out like my Uncle Ted does or like you see me. When he got done telling people that legally they don't have to be sick according to the Bible. I'm talking about like 12,000 people there. He'd say, tonight we're praying for numbers 1 through 109. Line up in order. And they'd come. He'd pray for 100, 1 through 109. Next night, 110 through 300. And do it just like that. See, d different administrations, different gifts. You don't have to get yourself worked into a frenzy. It's the understanding. I can't help not get myself worked into a frenzy. I would save a lot of money on dry cleaning if I could learn to not get worked into a frenzy. I dropped my suits off at the dry cleaners in Pittsburgh. The lady smoking a cigarette goes, how's the ministry going? She's not a Christian. She just knows if my ministry goes down, her dry cleaning business goes down. Everybody say, he took, he took. My, sickness. my sickness. Close both eyes. Lift your right hand to the Lord. Say, thank you, Jesus, that according to the Bible, you took all my sickness and removed all my disease. I receive healing now in Jesus' name. Now slip your other hand up next to it and just begin to thank God for about 15 seconds out of your mouth. Like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for taking my sickness. Thank you for removing my disease. I'm not, I'm not having diabetes. I'm not having uh, uh, colon cancer. I'm not all, all this stuff they advertise. I'm not having it. Jesus took it. He paid quite the price for me not to have it. They beat his back raw like meat till his mother didn't even recognize her own son when he walked out. And he did that for my sickness and my disease. So the devil can kiss off if he thinks he's going to put anything on me. I'm not having it. Jesus took it in my place. I told you about those Baptists, in Jesus' name, amen. I told you about those Baptist evangelists preaching in India. Well, I was preaching at the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. I felt the Lord speak to me to put up a stage. Went to the Buffalo Chip. You know, where Snoop Dogg was performing and Kid Rock and did a crusade for the bikers. And I made up my mind. I'm just going to preach straight salvation and give an altar call to get saved. But you can't. Because when people hear about God, even bikers, excuse me, they, four of them came up when I finished preaching. I never said one word about healing. I talked about heaven, hell, Jesus, the cross. Excuse me. My daughter has leukemia. Could you pray for her? Excuse me. I'm not able to eat food. Can you pray? 
Where did they get that from? Because you can't segment faith. You actually have to talk people out of it. That's why if you go to a church that's a cessationist church or whatever, they have to talk you out of it. Because if you just read that, there's no way to just read it and say, no, miracles aren't for today. There's nothing that says that. There's nothing that's close to saying that. When a biker hears about Christ for the first time and how he was the son of God made flesh and everywhere he went, go tell John. Are you the Messiah or should we look for another? Go tell your master the things you've seen today. The blind see, the deaf hear, the cripple walk, uh, the lepers are cleansed, and the poor are having the gospel preached. That's Jesus' reply. I'm not the Messiah. You know how you know I'm the Messiah? Muhammad never healed anybody. Buddha never healed anybody, never claimed to. I'm not saying they said they do, and I disagree. They didn't do it. Jesus came opening blind, not spiritually blind, not people who have been blinded by society. You can always spot people that went to seminary. You know, many of us have been blinded by society. The heck are you talking about? Lay off the marijuana. (laughs) He healed people that were physically blind. He healed people that were physically deaf. When we had Paul and Nietzsche, the the, the testimony I played a couple nights ago, he's got a 90,000 seat church. When he came and preached at our church, Four different people from our church came to me the next Sunday that had serious eye problems. One was totally blind. One was legally blind. One woman couldn't, lost her ability to see color from a sickness for 20 years. And I can't remember the fourth one. And they all came and said that we got our vision perfectly back. He never prayed for them. Same Jesus. Opened the eyes of the blind. Unstopped the ears of the deaf. Made the lame to walk. And cleanse the lepers, and leprosy was the, the worst disease of the day. Communicable, you weren't even allowed to live with people if you had it. Now go tell John what you saw, and that that is the proof that I'm the Messiah. And I don't know, I don't know how you get from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the book of Acts to what passes as church today. I don't understand it. I haven't understood it since I was seven or eight years old. Because I grew up in my dad and uncle's meetings. Then you go to the church, what is this? I'll tell you another thing, and I'm not doing this to prop myself up. A lady that I know who's a Christian, whose husband wasn't a Christian, he came and got saved and powerfully touched. So then she took him to another church because they didn't live, and we didn't have the church. They lived in another state. So she took him to her church, normal Christian church, you know, full gospel on the sign. After they went two Sundays, he said, I don't want to be in this religion. I want to be in the same religion as the other church you took me to. to. To an outsider, it didn't seem like different It was two different religions. There's no demonstration, no manifestation. What happened? How did that get allowed? How do you get treated as some special thing? Brother Jonathan has a special healing ministry. No, it's very unspecial. If you tell people Jesus is alive and he conquered death, it'll start popping in an auditorium like popcorn before you even get a chance to pray for people. You actually have to talk people out of it. You have to say stuff that's a lie. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. There's people that couldn't quote one prayer scripture from the Bible. I'm talking people sitting here right now. But you could have finished that sentence. Because that's what you were taught about prayer. How many know sometimes we pray, but ultimately it's up to God. That's not what it said. Ask what ye will, and I will give it to you that your joy might be full. True or false? Yeah, this is not a way I'm looking at it and other people have a way. You're free to disagree with me, but remember, I'm absolutely right. That's why we have people leave our meetings sometimes. We haven't had it tonight. But I don't like, you don't like it, but you can't deny it. Because 
This is not a way you can interpret it. Jesus came with a ministry. He returned in the power of the Spirit. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me. The manifest power of God is upon me. To preach to the captive that the time of their captivity is over. We had a lady that was a captive the first uh, year I came. I don't, you know, it's been 12 years. Well, 11 years. I remember she was on 40 different medications. And if she left the house, she would immediately have a panic attack. To the point that she told me. That one time she forgot that she had the problem, left the house to go play with her daughter and had a panic attack on the front porch. So she told me when I walked in to preach, she said, this is a miracle. I thought, what? She said that I'm here. This is the first time I've left the house and I can't remember how many years. That's a prison. She's free, but she's in prison. There's a lot of people like that. They can't travel. They have kidney dialysis. They're in a prison. The devil has confined them. Anybody in the sound of my voice, including online, that the devil has put you in a prison of depression, of panic attack, of anxiety, of of sickness and disease, that prison door comes open tonight and every chain falls off now. Now, now faith is. Jesus never told me. What would you like me to do for you? Sir, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus responded, typical humans always wanting something in the natural. But really, no. Never did that. He, you know what the Bible says? You know why I never did it? Because you know what the Bible tells you about God in James chapter 1? If you ask him, he will not rebuke you for asking. So any preacher that rebukes people, I mean, we want things for us, but we don't want anything for the kingdom. That's not God talking. When you have cancer, it's hard to think about missions or church growth or repairing of a roof. People are in a prison. They need help, and Christ came to set them free. And I close with this. He came to set them free. Then when he left, he told you to go set them free. Oh, Lord, we just ask you, Father, before we go on with the service, we put the names up on the screen of those that were unable to be here this Sunday but are magically able to go to Walmart to get their prescriptions filled on the 1st and 15th. We ask that you go. Be with them. God's up in heaven going, not happening, champ. You can't alter what God said. There is a way this thing works, and if you go against it, it doesn't work. But thank God if you do what he says. I'm not going to the hospital to pray for people. You lay your hands on the sick. Anybody ever heard of that evangelist that I brought up once, R.W. Schambach? Now, I'm telling you this because you need religion to talk it out of you. You need a seminary to calm you down. When people get saved... They naturally get on fire for God. And they have to get surrounded with lukewarm losers. You get saved. You can spot people that just got saved in church. You don't have to tell them to stand up. They're up before the service starts. Then you got the Christians that have been there 10 years. I remember when I was like that. What happened? Who shot you? You know, they'll see. They're newly saved. Give them three weeks around us. We'll get them calmed down. 
Uh, true or not? It's true. It takes religion to calm it down. But if you don't calm people down, R.W. Shambach under that tent meeting stayed six weeks in, this, in Newark, New Jersey. And a guy got saved and heard the message that night. R.W. Shambach anointed everybody with oil. He'd put his tent up in the worst parts of the hood. Like the worst parts. And he's preaching there. 5,000 people under the tent. Preached the whole night on anointing with oil. So this guy gets saved, gets anointed with oil. Asks if he can have a bottle of oil. Because he's only heard from the Bible that we're to anoint people with oil. Goes to the hospital in Newark and clears two floors of people out before security had him arrested. And you'd think that would kill a meeting. It grew the meeting. Guy did 24 hours in jail. So Brother Shambach gave him some instruction about, you know, how to do it where you don't get arrested. But don't stop. But I'm telling you, you can do more with somebody like that. Then somebody that's heard about it, and they, they don't even own oil. You go to some churches, the oil's rotten. If Dag Haywood Mills came to anoint people with oil like he did at my church, how are you going to do that with a thing this big where the top's black? This oil, it's stale. The last time we've done this is 1978. Get back to the Bible. I pray, and it's what happened when we were here the first time for five weeks. Wild, radical people came off fentanyl, people came off heroin, people came off meth, and they didn't have any Bible college to preach the life out of them and tell them how to be proper, dead, American, Wednesday night, Sunday morning Christians. And that's what's coming back to Massachusetts tonight. Young people that are on fire for God. Mothers and fathers that are on fire for God. Grandparents that the fire has not gone out. I'm looking at the people that God's going to use to shake New England. Hey! Hallelujah! I, I love this lady. She'd been saved less than 24 hours. She had, listen to just how simple. Everybody say it's simple. It's too simple. You need a professor to screw it up. You hear some people talk. Just the way they talk, I know God will never use them. Are you more Calvinist or Arminian? You're, you're out. The fact that you know those two terms and talk to people with those terms. You, you've been in Bible school so long, you don't even know how to talk to people. You've lost touch with people. He's like, we're not Calvinist here. We're a full God. People don't know what any of that means. These are the kind of people, the ones I'm going to show you on video. This lady, this is who's out there. You don't know about... What you've been spending time learning has no impact. She can't eat. She's in pain. She needs to get better. She got saved, then believed what she heard, and believed, okay, if God did that in some of those stories that you told, I'm, I, I want prayer. And lo and behold, God didn't say, you think I'm going to heal you here at Sturgis? You came here to smoke weed and buy bike parts and go camp out with your boyfriend? No. God's not a jerk, actually. Religious people are jerks. You, you, you can't expect God to heal you. You haven't even been to our next steps class. No. Play it. Watch what Jesus did. This is powerful. I came last night and I felt so good. And then today I haven't eaten. Like I can't eat. Four years of this pain and throwing up. <laughs> throwing up and... and 
I'm skinny, you know, uh, but I ate two meals today. I've had some juice. I've had a whole bunch of stuff. Everybody's like, are you okay? Why are you eating? This is for real. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I came to Sturgis to hang out, buy bike parts. Then I found Jesus and it's a whole different thing here, right? God is way bigger than anything. And I Pause know for quick. a fact today. Now, because she had this encounter, she shared, goes from sharing her testimony. Listen to her start preaching under the anointing. A better sermon than 98% of people heard last week on Sunday. Because it's, it's from here, yeah. not here. And so as we go through point number two, look over the tops of the people ahead. What happened to you? What happened to you? You're 23 and you sound like you're in your mid hundreds. Make Joe Biden sound like Johnny Carson. And so just a couple of thoughts I'd like to share before we go. I know we've already run long with announcements. And so if you're getting up an apology, if your introduction to your sermon's an apology, just quit. You mentioned being a stand-up comedian. Now, most of us aren't going to laugh tonight. That's fine. No, but, but I won't be very long. No, you should have something you believe in. Yeah. You're having trouble coming up with a sermon? How about this? How about write this for a title? These are three things I believe with all my heart from the Bible. What, what, are you, what would it be for you? What three things do you know? I know God's a mighty Savior. Point number two. I know he's a mighty healer. Point number three, I know he's a mighty deliverer. That'd be a sermon. You should be able to preach that. You should have stories from your personal life of how, what he did. For, what's, what's your testimony? Share your testimony. Watch her start preaching. She's been saved 20 hours. My heart, we got lots of medical doctors, but there's only one big physician. Only one. Only one. And he's the only one that can do it. Pause. And he. I did, I did not preach on Christ being the great physician. She didn't even say great physician. She said big physician. Now with no, she's not heard a sermon on healing. And listen to, listen to what she's going to say. I, doctors can do other stuff, but I know who I'm going to for my healing from now on. Oh, yeah. So how have you been in the ministry for 30 years and you can't say that? No, we actually need, because you're scared to get sued. You're scared somebody's going to go off there. Keep it paused. Don't quit on me. Everybody can see me. Keep that up. I'm not going to be long. Check this out. This guy is not a dummy. He's a smart guy. This just got posted on Instagram and I reposted it on my story. Where is it? A bunch of squirrel posts. <laughs> there it is. It's an empty pill box. This is a realtor from Kentucky in his 60s. And he, he's a sharp guy. He's not, he's not dumb. He's smart. I've been working toward a decision over the last year or so. Since my heart surgery in 2016, I've been on a regular workout routine. And while I don't eat perfect, I eat way better than before. I've been taking 10 pills a day, some prescription, some daily aspirin, some allergy. I've always thought if I keep doing this, my kidneys will be shot. The doctor agreed that I could drop one, but I needed a low dosage of the others. I decided a couple weeks ago to make a list of the side effects of the others. And based on that and my faith in God over pharma, this may be my farewell broadcast on YouTube, I went cold turkey. I'm not telling you to go off your medication. I'm just telling you that what, what people get inspired to do, whether it's her or a realtor. 
I'm not telling you to go off your medication. I don't need three people to leave the meeting and they find him at two in the morning running naked down Ashby Road. No. Put clothes on. Based on that and my faith in God over farmer, I went cold turkey. I've watched my sugar and blood pressure stay in a normal range and slowly replacing the drugs with vitamin supplements, I've lost six pounds. I couldn't seem to lose in the last two weeks and still have a way to go, but God's got me. I think back to the doctor who diagnosed me as a type two diabetic 10 years ago. He's fat and my A1C has been in the, this is him writing, okay, has been in the fives and sixes since that appointment. Then he put in quotes, by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed with praise hands. Disclaimer, my pastor at J.D. Shuttlesworth only slightly nudged me in his preaching to do what I already knew what to do. I hold him harmless. So this, he's getting smart. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be a slave to the pharmaceutical companies. And then he posted, so he posted one picture of his empty blue pill box and then another of all the side effects of the drugs. Where he just read it. Said, now, that, he's been listening to me preach for probably five or six years. It didn't happen overnight. I'm not saying it has to take five or six years, but he just, sometimes it just dawns on people. What the heck am I doing? This ain't working. They gave me diabetes medication. It's been 10 years I still have diabetes. So it ain't working. Can you say amen? And there he goes. What happens when you get healed? Now a realtor's posting a lunatic post on Instagram about how he emptied his medication out. See, it's one thing to know about God. It's another thing to have had an experience with God. You have an experience with God. Every college professor at your university can try to make shots. It ain't going to work. I know my God. Just like you can't talk me out of uh, who my mother is. I know who she is. I love her. You can't, you can't turn me against my mother. I don't know about her. I know her. I had an experience with her. I grew up in her home for 18 years. A lot of people, they grow up in church and they hear about Jesus like he's Ralph Waldo Emerson, E. e. Cummings, some poet. Ben Franklin, he's just a history figure. But when he makes you go from unable to eat to eat all you want, now as a biker, you're preaching better than an evangelist. You're telling people, Jesus is alive, and I know he's alive. Play the rest. I don't got it anymore. Like, I don't know where it went. I've eaten today. I I ate part of my boyfriend's burger. I don't, there's no other explanation. There's really just not. Yes, I just believed it. And it happened. Like you, I've never felt like this in my life. So never. Now you're healed. I'm telling you, I'm healed. I almost can't wrap my own head around it at the, because it's so four years not eating. Yeah. I'm drinking Ensure for old people, right? I can't eat. I've had a whole meal. Praise God. God is good. I don't know what else to say. No, just say God is good. God is amazingly good. He's my physician right now, Amen. right? He's Amen. mine. Amen. There's some doctors give me some guidance, but I, I'm going to go to the big physician from now on because that's, that's where it's at. That's where I got to be. Amen. Yeah, thank you. God bless you. Amen. Now, I'm going to pray for people tonight. And among them, I'm going to pray for ministers. I'm not saying this to be mean or cutting, but you have, to, you have to recognize there's a problem before you get help. If you pretend everything's okay, you won't get help. Pastor Sam's in the back. He pastors a Southern Baptist church. When I went to preach for him two years ago, people said, what was it like preaching a Southern Baptist church? I said, the same as a full gospel church. 
No tongues there. No tongues in the full gospel church. You could leave on Christian TV for eight hours. You won't hear one tongue. It's all gone. So there's people here tonight that the Lord had me preach this because you call yourself a full gospel preacher, but you're not, you are on paper. You have credentials with the full gospel church, but there are no accompanying signs with your ministry. Did you know in one of the organizations um, in the middle of the 1900s, before they would ordain you into the ministry, you had to have three medically confirmed miracles. Just because you have miracles doesn't mean you preach good doctrine, but it is impossible to preach good doctrine and not have miracles because God watches over his word to perform it. I wasn't trying to get that lady healed. I had made up my mind going into that crusade. I'm not praying for anybody. I just, you know, it's enough. They're bikers. It's a big deal that they're even listening to the Bible. I'm not going to start going into tongues and laying hands on people. Tough luck. You can't preach the Bible without that stuff breaking loose. Think about how, how the Pentecostal stuff broke out in America anyway. No one was trying to have it. They were people that studied the Bible and preached on it. And then came the signs. Just like my Baptist friends over in India. You can't. You have to make an effort to not have it. You don't have to try to have it. You have to mix in a contaminant. You have to say stuff that's not in the scripture. Sometimes he's, I mean, yeah, we pray, but ultimately God's sovereign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to talk like that. That's the only way. You have to wreck it. You have to do something wrong. And that's why Jesus was swatting the Pharisees and Sadducees verbally and sometimes with a whip any chance he got. You whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. If you were doing what you were supposed to do, I wouldn't even have to come down here. And you turned against the word of God. And you crossed land and sea to make one convert and turn him into twice the son of hell you are. That's what Jesus said. You go to Bible school, that's what it looks like. Dead quiet. Everybody in gray suits. It looks like a funeral and it sounds like a funeral. Where do people learn to talk like that? Maybe talk like your God's alive. Now people, we've had plenty of people leave our church. Plenty of people leave any church. The Bible says the whole multitude deserted Jesus. But nobody leaves my church and says, I don't think that guy believes in what he's talking about. Nobody. They know I'm convinced. And I'm convinced enough that we've convinced a lot of people. What about you? Who taught you to talk like that? Like you're an NPR radio broadcaster. Like you're preaching a sermon with a, a sleeping infant behind you that you're trying not to wake up. Lose that voice. 23 years old, they give somebody a mic. Well, um, you stand if you're comfortable. If you're not comfortable, you can stay in your seat. You're, you're finished. You're, you're, who are you? As that lady's husband would say, you're in a different religion. I want to be in the religion like that, those meetings we went to in Pittsburgh. Where there's healing and stuff. What is this? It's boring. And think of it. He was in three-hour, ten-minute meetings with me. And those meetings were 75 minutes and he wanted out. A 75-minute meeting without the Holy Ghost feels like a tour through Vietnam. And you get in the move of the Spirit. And time blows by and you don't even realize it because you're sucking it in like oxygen. God's wrecking you on, your, on the inside. He's taking everything out that needs taken out. And he's putting in, he's pouring in right now from heaven the things that you need to make a run. I'm telling you tonight, I've done everything in my, in my power to get you disgusted with the religious way of doing things. Do it the Jesus way. Jesus didn't have nice, clean dismissals. Where did Jesus ever pray for traveling mercies as we had our separate ways? Where do they do that in the book of Acts? 
How is that a standard close for a service? Well, we'd have trailing mercy as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name. And everyone just leave. Nothing happened. I'm not saying somebody needs to get baptized in the Holy Ghost and healed and a miracle and saved every service. But one of those things better have happened. Or no, what happened? What happened? Read the book of Acts. There was healing and miracles. There was the building shaken. We don't believe that people shake. The building shook. And people are weaker than steel. God has power. He has power. He wants you to have that power. So like that woman, you not just have a testimony. You can't shut up that my Jesus is alive. He's alive on the inside of me. And he's anointed me to carry out his works. Stand on your feet. If you're a part of that army, give Jesus the biggest hand clap and biggest shout. Come on, take 30 seconds and let it rip. Hallelujah. 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 For a third time saith, the Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. One more time, the Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. I want everybody that's 35 or younger that feels the call of God on their life or is pursuing the call of God on their life in the full-time ministry to line across the front right now. I want to pray for you first. We're going to commission people into the ministry. Shoulder to shoulder. Don't group up. Don't get behind anybody. Shoulder to shoulder straight across the front. We believe all things should be done decently and in order. Show me a meeting where nobody got saved, nobody got filled with the Holy Ghost. Nobody got healed. According to the Bible, it was out of order. Somebody wrote online today. They come from a cessationist background. Even if you believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for today, why is there never interpretation when people pray in tongues like the Bible says there should? It doesn't say that for all times. When they were all filled with the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, did somebody interpret after, did they squeeze each other's hand and go around the circle? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they all spoke with tongues. No interpretation. A message in tongues is to be interpreted. But the Bible says in Acts 4, they all prayed in tongues. I want to do something before I pray for you. Put the um, RTBI thing up on the the, uh, screen. And if you have something at the back table, I want you to give it to me. We have a Bible college at our school. I consider it the finest Bible college in the nation. Of course, I'm the president, so I'm biased. But I I think I could prove my case. When it comes, our Bible college students were just under Dag Haywood Mills Ministry morning and night for a week. Dr. Rodney Howard Brown's been there to instruct. My Uncle Ted's there to instruct. Paula Nietzsche was there to instruct. Jesse Duplantis was there to instruct. If you like what you heard tonight, and you'd like to train like that, where we don't, we don't knock the fire out of you. We pour gasoline on it instead of put a wet blanket on it. This is on the back. Revival Today Bible Institute. Raising ministers of excellence who deliver the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and power. As the course list, you know what it costs per, per semester? No, it's per year, right? 2000 a year. I was going to make it free, but people don't even set their fantasy football lineups if it's free. So it's just enough so you people have a little skin in the game. 
and he'll stay, stay in school, graduate debt-free. And I, you're not going to graduate ours like you graduate other places and have to ask somebody, how do you get a nonprofit? How do you set up an incorporation? I'll teach you what you need to know to leave after the second year and be an actual minister. Not somebody that works at Banana Republic and holds a prayer meeting at your house the third Thursday of every month. A pastor, an evangelist that has a church with a building, not in a garage, like a, a, a real minister with people and parking spaces. Stuff that, that, that makes up a church. Can you say amen? amen? That's on the back. If you take one, you're not under any obligation to go. Our next intake of students is in January. And then we start our third intake of, of uh, third academic year in uh, September. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I live in Massachusetts. You'll be thrilled to know they now have an interstate road system <laughs> that connects all 50 states. So it's not Oregon Trail. You don't have to die of dysentery on your way down. <laughs> so this is not an altar call to join my school, but if you, if you had God light, light a fire in you and you want to do something with it, when I do meetings like this, somebody will come up after and go, do you have online? I don't have online. Because the people who ask if you have online are the reason I don't have online. Do you have online? Why do you need online? Because I work at CVS and I take care of my mom and I can't get out. You're out. You're either all in or you're out. There's no online Marines. I can't really go to basic training. You're either in or you're out. Jesus told them to leave their nets and come follow him. You're either in. We've left everything to follow you. You can't hold on to your old life and go into the... You're either all... You know, I believe every minister should be bivocational. Tell me what job I could work where I could have got the last three weeks off to preach plus this next week. Can't do it. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with working a job in the beginning. But things grow. Before you know it, it takes up all your time. Before you know it, you have to hire another person. Before you know it, you've hired 42 other people. You didn't even know you did. So there it is. QR code's there. If you scan that and you're not vaccinated, people from the Department of Health will immediately come and apprehend you. <laughs> so be careful. I would love to see you at our Bible school. If you're watching online, I'd love to see you. 18 to 35 is the ages. So if you're over 35, you can go to literally any Bible school in the country. But I felt to, I felt to do it with, uh, I don't want to, I, I just felt to do 18 to 35. I'll leave it at that. I didn't want 50-year-olds that are dodging work and bored. I want, I want young people. Did you know everybody that Jesus called was between the age of 17 and 25? There's things that need to be done in your youth. You can't even be considered to be an astronaut after the age of 19. If I told somebody right now that my dream is to pitch for the Boston Red Sox, they'd have me committed. It's over. There's things you need to do now when you're young. And if you're interested... You're going to make some of the best friends you've ever made in your life. You're going to get two solid years. I picked the courses. English, so you don't say you or support Israel, I-S-R-E-A-L. So you don't call people to the altar, A-L-T-E-R. English, U.S. history, so you don't shut down your church because the Department of Health said you had to. You realize there's a constitution that's the final authority. You're not a patsy for the World Economic Forum. Can you say Amen. You'll leave there and then Bible and services and enough oil 
where you'll still be shiny three years after graduation. I'd love to see you there. Because if you like tonight, it's basically tonight for two years. And you'll come out of that place carrying the fire of God. God will use you to set captives free, heal the sick, and cast out devils. I see the Lord touching people right now at the altar, like heavily. Lift both hands to the Lord. If you're in the congregation, stretch your hands forth towards those that are here. Tomorrow night's going to be a blowout night. There's going to be people driving from everywhere. But I, I feel to focus on who I'm focusing on tonight. I, be, I believe everything I said. I believe a new generation of pastors and evangelists are going to get raised up out of this altar. And you're going to do great things for God. Great things for God. This young lady in the, in the blazer, step right out. Lift both your hands all the way up. Close both eyes. As you do, the power of God comes upon you. I feel in my spirit that your whole time growing up, it's like people would go to do things and you just didn't feel to do it and you didn't even know why. Just kind of separated yourself from the pack and went home. God's had his hand on your life. Perhaps somebody prayed for you from before you were even born and set you apart for the work of the Lord. And it's like there's been a protection on you. Things that interested your friends, you tried to get interested in it, it didn't interest you. The Lord has set you apart for a special work. With your hands lifted and your spirit open, receive ye the gift of the Holy Ghost and the endowment for power for Christian service. In Jesus' name. That's it. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. If you keep yourself pure, you'll be a vessel of honor fit for the master's work. Can't go throw your body around at parties and stuff. From the time you leave this altar, you've got to live a different life. Set apart, consecrated to the Lord. That's how it works. Otherwise, it won't work. Every hand lifted. I loose the anointing on all these men and women in Jesus' name. People came tonight hungry. This lady here in the blazer, another young lady with a blazer, lift both hands all the way up, close both eyes. As you do, the fire of God comes upon you. In Jesus' name. That's it. Go right through you. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus. I set you apart for the work of the Lord. Let that fire never go out. In Jesus' name. The fire must never go out. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. A mighty man of God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for fire in Jesus' name. A fire in your belly that nothing can take out in Jesus' name. Open doors. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's it. Goes right through you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. 
In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. I'll be with this wall short. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I know you. I like you. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name. Who did I miss up here? In Jesus' name. Now, if you've never heard people laugh before, I know it's very troubling that people aren't depressed and suicidal and they have joy instead. I mean, who could ever think that God would do something like that? That in a time where there's a mental health crisis with suicide, that he'd fill people with so much joy that, that young people that have been targeted for suicide and depression would just laugh and have joy unspeakable and full of glory. We don't need another generation of depressed ministers. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. That's it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. That's it. That's the power of God. Go right through you. In Jesus. Power of God's on you. Strong. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. Everybody that's at the altar and everybody that's in your seats, just lift your hands one final time. Father, I thank you for the fire of the Holy Ghost coming upon people right now. Just like on the day of Pentecost. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for fire in the ministers. Thank you for fire in the laity. Thank you for a church that's on fire. In Jesus' name. Not because I'm friends with your sons, but let me pray for the, the Johnson mom and dad in, in that aisle. Just stand shoulder to shoulder. Lift both hands, close both eyes. Indiana Mondia. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for fresh fire. Thank you for fresh anointing. Thank you for growing churches. Thank you for building acquisition. Thank you for plenty of parking. Thank you for money to do the work of the ministry. In Jesus' name. I pray for this lady in the black leather jacket, if you don't mind. Miss, if you don't mind, let me pray for you. Lift both. Pull. Keep your right hand up. Put your left hand on your belly. And then put the other hand on your heart and across your heart and lungs and chest. Lord gives you a touch for your body to run the second leg of your race with strength. You'll, did I not say in my word, as you've waited on me, you'll run and never grow weary. You'll walk and shall not faint. You're going to run with renewed strength. You'll be stronger than you were when you started. In Jesus' name. Go right through you. In Jesus' mighty name. I'm telling you right now, everybody in the sound of my voice, every attack that's come against your health, to weaken you so you can't do what God's called you to do. 
Strength comes from heaven right now. Let me pray for you in the button-up shirt. You, the, you guys are together. Come, Stephanie, if you come as well. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All three of you just stand across shoulder to shoulder. Lift both hands, close both eyes. As you do the, that's it. As you do the power of God comes upon you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, precious Father. Every hand lifted. Brondo Reba. Iskondi I want you with the beret on across to the, the man that's holding the baby. Obviously, you can't lift both your hands. But those of you that can't lift both hands to the Lord, if you can only lift one, it's fine. Hand of the Lord's on you. In Jesus' name, I loose the fire of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name. Down that whole line. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. Nobody's allowed to leave here sick. Everybody leaves here healed. It's unscriptural for you to remain sick. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for open doors. Thank you for people coming in to hear the gospel. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. No more hardship. No more trouble. In Jesus' name. Let me pray for you, you, and you. In Jesus' mighty name. Shoulder to shoulder, lift both hands, close both eyes. As you do, the power of God comes upon you even stronger. In Jesus' name. That's it. Go right through you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. Give you praise. Give you honor. Give you glory. Give you praise. Give you honor. Give you glory. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. Yes, in Jesus' mighty name. Let me pray for my friend from Rhode Island. In Jesus' name. Lift your hands, close both eyes. As you do the fire of God that you've hungered for, what you've hungered for and thirsted for, you receive. Lord gives you a miracle for your body as well, in Jesus' name. Pray for my friend I met in uh, Worcester. Come right out. In Jesus' mighty name. Lift both hands, close both eyes. As you do, the fire of God comes upon you. It's like there's one thing that remains for the Lord to do. And that battle comes to an end tonight. The Lord does it for you. In Jesus' name. Now it's done. That you be perfect and complete. I pray for this lady in the gray. Near the guy in the burn. You. With the red, reddish hair. Meet me on that side. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Nice to meet you. I'll pray for him too. i pray for you first. Put a hand on your belly. Put another hand across your heart and lungs and chest. Lord's going to give you, a, this is a reward for you having faith for another person. What you make happen for others, God makes happen for you. Lord gives you a touch for your body. In Jesus' name, underneath both hands. Filled. 
In Jesus' name. That's it. Go right through you. Now, this attack against your body reverses. That's it. Hold him up. In Jesus' name. Be healed. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I think I already prayed for you. Lift your hands a second time. Receive a second touch. God's hands on your life for the ministry. God's going to give you a grace to raise your family and all that and still not miss a beat in the thing that he's called you to do. You're going to be mighty in the spirit. In Jesus' name. That's it. Say In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. I, I want to tell you something. If you're going to be powerful in the spirit in your ministry, you're going to have to fight and take a stand against the religious system. You get invited to speak at something as a woman. This is just a breakfast. We're just going to, we don't really pray for people. It's just, we give like a talk. Just nod your head and let it rip. Let a reputation get out in the spirit that if they want a 12 minute message and nobody prayed for, you're not the person to call. Because if you don't do that, they'll muzzle you. They'll put you in settings where you're not free to move. Who are you believing for? My sister Paula, like four rare diseases. She's whittling away. She wanted to come. She couldn't. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for Paula. Someone can send her this clip and let her know. Those rare diseases are going to be so rare, they're not going to find them. Amen. In Jesus' name. Be healed, Paula. Come up out of that bed. Go and testify on a platform that Jesus is a mighty healer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to say a word with me. Say faith. faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God will move and touch a biker chick that says, I believed it and it happened. And he'll skip a presbyter that doesn't really believe. He doesn't care, he doesn't care about your background. He cares about faith. And you say, amen. Let me pray for my Russian friends. Step out into the aisle. Lift both hands and close both eyes. Father, I'm going to use you as a point of contact. I pray the Lord's going to touch you. The Lord's going to set everything in order, not just in your body, but in your life. If anybody was supposed to help you and bailed and it left you kind of holding the bag, the Lord's going to help you. Very quickly, you're going to go into January 1st, 2024, if Jesus tarries, and you won't have one thing, one issue that you have right now is not going to follow you into the new year. It'll all be taken care of before Christmas. You'll come into the new year with everything brand new in Jesus' name. 2024, if Jesus tarries, is going to be the best year you've ever had. And then I... I use you as a point of contact for the whole nation of Russia. I'm for any country CNN's trying to turn me against. That's when I got interested in going to preach there. They're not going to get me to hate a group of people. I know they mistreated Rocky, but I, I forgave them. Be blessed. I bless the nation of Russia, the people of Russia. Let a mighty revival sweep through that huge nation. In Jesus' name. Thank you for the Russian people. Thank you for Russia. Touch them. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Let me pray for you. 
If you would come, come around to the back where I can get to you. Lift your hands. As you do, the power of God comes upon. <laughs> Jesus now. Jesus now. If it bothers you, her laughing like that, maybe you can give her a ride home in 15 minutes with you and she can go back to being sad. Go on, prayer. I've met you before, huh? No? Put, put uh, your left hand on top of your head. Multiple sclerosis, I curse you in Jesus' name. You're not allowed to be in this woman's body. Every spot on this thing Oh! In Jesus' name. Pray for this lady here. I met you in Worcester. Put both hands. Praise the Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed, wherever you're at. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're uncertain about eternity. Death frightens you because you don't know what, where you're going after. You don't know what happens after you die. I want you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have to turn your back on sin. That sin's killing you. It's the root of your problems. You got to get, allow the Lord to remove it and then not live that way anymore. I can't make you do that. God won't make you do it. You have to decide tonight. I'm done living the devil's way. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Some of you, if you got saved, it would start a chain reaction where you'd have 11 people in your family get saved in less than a year. You're the leader of the family. They do what you do. You never ask to be the leader. You just are the leader. If you're here and you need to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you say, Jonathan, I'm not sure I'm saved, or I know I'm not saved, but I want to be saved tonight. I want you to quickly put your hand up high and wave it at me, and we'll pray together right now. Put it up nice and high, because I'm on the floor with you. I see you. Anybody else? Nice and high where I can see you. More? Both, both ladies, come and let's pray right now. And anybody else that lifted a hand that missed, that I missed, you can come. Come right now. We're going to pray.
Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming. Just lift both your hands to the Lord. I know this might be new to you. I'm only... So glad you're here. God bless you. I know this might be new to you. This isn't a recital. I just give people the words to pray because some people have never prayed. So you want to know what to say? Just say this from your heart. There's a real God that hears this. This isn't like an initiation chant. You're talking to a real God. And while you're praying this prayer, he'll take out your old heart that's broken or full of hurt. And he'll give you a brand new heart. It's a miracle. Say this, Heavenly Father, I give you my life. I turn my back on sin. I believe in my heart. You raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord and my Savior. Right now, I receive forgiveness by the blood of Jesus. I am saved. I am forgiven. I am clean. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me pray for you. I'm, you know, I, I lived in Maine for a long time. I'm not like a bleeding heart, naturally compassionate person. So I really notice it when I feel God's compassion in me for somebody. Suppose I never met. I don't know anything about him. I feel in my spirit. Like the devil went out of his way to destroy your life. And God today is making everything right. Every plan the enemy had to ruin your life is a failure as of tonight. You come out of this altar saved and clean and filled with joy and peace. In Jesus' name. Father, what you did for me when I came to you changed my life. I loose that power into you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. No more struggle. In Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Sins are all forgiven. Before you go back to your seat, I live in a... I don't know where I live, but this church is worth hooking in with. 10 a.m. Sundays, Pastor Brian, and he's a good pastor. And I'm not just saying that because he's 10 feet away. Make this your church. It'll solve 95% of the stuff. God, God will help you. But you're saved. You know where you're going. You can lay your head on your pillow tonight. You're as saved as I am. Your name's written in heaven. When you pass from the earth one day, you're going there. Amen? Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming forward. You can go back to your seat. Give them a big hand clap. Give Jesus a great big hand clap. Whatever changes in that two-hour sermon, that the, you can be seated briefly. Whatever changes that the Lord spoke to you to make in your ministry or your life, make them. Make them immediately. The Lord spoke to me to begin a church in Fort Worth, July 27th. It was announced the night of July 27th. No way to get a building or anything. My wife found out two hours before the people found out. Our media team was making the announcement video while I was preaching. That's why we played it at the end. It wasn't ready. They found out an hour before the service started. 
When the Lord puts something in your spirit to do it, move on it that day. And then if you do that, then God knows you're a faithful servant. That it, people, people take years to do stuff that it should take days. Well, at my church, we have a board that we have to run things by. That's your problem. You did that. God didn't do that. You did that. I have a board too. Set up your constitution and bylaws so that they don't shackle you. Set it up where you can make moves. I didn't have to run the church in Fort Worth by anybody. We wrote it into our constitution and bylaws that any move that we make that's under $2 million does not need board approval. So unless I'm going to buy the New York Yankees or something, we could just move. Amen? Amen. Set things up so you can move swiftly. And um, don't worry about money. Say this out loud. Budgets cost me something. Vision brings me something. Don't talk how much stuff costs. Talk about what the Lord's having you do. You know, you wouldn't think if you showed people a jet that you were getting, you'd think that'd make people leave your ministry. But a man wired $151,000 on Monday and said, for jet fuel. So the people you're trying to please by keeping things quiet, you're actually turning off big people because there are people on this planet that like to hear about somebody. doing. I told you the guy that owns that building where we have church. Great job hitting 1,000. Now, now start pressing for 2,000. I never heard that from a pr- preacher. Except Pastor Rodney. You know, Christians don't think like that. Christians are always prayerfully and carefully. How about prayerfully and recklessly? Come out swinging. Can you say amen? Amen. Paul didn't end up in prison by being careful about what he said and how he conducted himself. I'm not talking about being an idiot. But do what God called you to do and do it as fast as possible. And then God will give you more. He gave five talents to one, and the man went out and didn't just double it, quickly doubled it. He didn't come back and tell me he made 7%. 11%. I know this isn't much, but most people are only making 7%. I was able to get to 11. Quickly doubled it. Gave two talents to another. He quickly doubled it. Quickly. Move fast. Anytime God gave Abraham an instruction, it was done by the end of that day other than he waited till the next day when he had to take Isaac with him because another person was involved. Never waited more than two days to do anything the Lord told him to do. I've been thinking about doing that for a few years. That's why you're where you're at, because the Lord finds somebody that's going to think for a few years. There's nothing to think about. When the Lord says to do something, people, people came up and congratulated me when I announced we were going to start a church in Fort Worth. Hey, congratulations. Where's it going to be? I said, I have no idea. Fort Worth. Yeah, but Where? Uh, looking forward to finding out. Then I had a minister. I had three people reach out to me and offer me buildings within two weeks. One of them is the one we're in now. Hey, I have a church. It's not used on Sunday mornings. I just run my Bible college out of there. Would, would you, uh, you, you could use it if you'd like. I'd love to have you in there. My wife and I would like to go to the church as well. I mean, it's easy. Everything easy. If you move fast, it's actually taking long and trying to raise the money. There's no gift of money raising. You just go, and in comes the money. Amen? Amen. You're going to have to move fast if, if you want to get used by the Lord because there's not much time left. So the Lord's looking for people that will let it rip. Amen? Amen? Is that Pastor Brian's daughter in the orange sweater? Stand up and lift both hands. Hand of the Lord's upon you. Be filled 
with the Holy Ghost and fire. Every prayer your mother prayed for you from the time you were in her belly. Let it be so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Pray for this guy in the gray. Yep, stand up and lift both hands. Hand of the Lord's upon you, my friend. Fire. Holy Ghost fire. More fire. More fire. More fire. More fire. In Jesus' name. That's it. Take more. <laughs> Praise God. How many got something out of this tonight? Yeah. Praise God. Well, I meant everything I said, especially the parts about the Lord using you. My friend that I prayed for in the burn orange sweater, that fog is lifting off your mind. You're going to have your full cognitive ability, even on the drive home, it's going to keep working. Amen. That's a fact. I can, see, I can see it happening right now. Your eyes look brighter. It's a, I can see a difference. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. I won't keep you here all night. Let me just take a little walk. You can feel the presence of God still in here. So no need to rush out of it. Your kids will do fine in school. God will give your kids favor with the teachers. Take it from me. It's better than being smart. If your teacher likes you, you get an A. Praise God. Act on whatever God put in your spirit. Lord called you to ministry and you're out of high school, then Bible school is not a... I mean, just, be, just go. If you're called to be a pilot, you do pilot training. Everything requires training. And I prayed for you the first, the lady in the blazer. Just lift your hands in your seat. You only have to stand up. More fire. God's going to use you mightily. If you're not married yet and the Lord called you into the ministry tonight, obviously that puts great limitation on who you can consider marrying. It, it. No, for real. So find somebody that shares your same value for, for ministry and the call of God. Amen? It would be really hard to do what I'm doing if Adalis worked at a dance club. That's his thing. He likes going to Africa with this guy, Dag. You can't do that. That's called an unequal yoke. But, you know, if you're full of the Holy Ghost, and you, you, you want to marry somebody that they, they just go to church and they're okay with you being filled with the Holy That's an unequal yoke. You need to find somebody that's on fire, and they exist. They're out there. Don't settle. Don't settle because you haven't found them yet. There's a big world out there. You don't have to kiss a frog and hope it turns into a prince. Amen? That's not a scripture. It's a storybook, but it applies. How many of you got something out of tonight? Amen. Well, give the Lord Jesus a great hand clap. Tomorrow night, I would not miss it for anything in the world.
going to receive the offering tonight, I just want to show you one thing out of Luke chapter 5. Verse 6, Matthew, or Luke 5, 6. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. God, Jesus didn't give the word to the other boat, but because the other boat was hooked in with Peter, they also got abundance. Say this with me. The law of association. You know, that guy wired me on Monday 151000 for jet fuel. I called Jesse Duplantis on my way up here, and I never told him that. He said, you know, since I got my new jet, I've never had to pay for gas. He said, I've landed at four airports, and someone at the airport, not the church, somebody at the airport, at all four airports in four different states, said, I want to top your plane off with gas. You're talking like a lot, you know, 60000 70000 not to fill it, to, to fill it up from being half full. And then that happened to me that day. Well, I'm connected to him. I give to the ministry. Who you're connected to matters. And there's some people that the reason they struggle and are wondering where their harvest is, is they sow into crap soil. We're not a box at the back ministry. We're not a give your offering on your way out ministry. We're not having, you know, sometimes God blesses us here, but other, some people don't get their blessing to heaven. You can't, you can't come into agreement with people like that and then wonder why things aren't working. When, we, when you give to this ministry, we pray for you. Our partners get a call. Our People that give to our ministry get, a, get one call every month, every one of them, 14,000 of them. It's people's jobs. Just call every day and ask people if they would like what they can pray for them for. Not ask where their giving is or what, what, none of that. No offering. Just pray. We believe for people's increase. We're not believing for our increase. We've already increased and are increasing. I don't need you to help me increase. We've given $5 million as seed away to other ministries this year. So there's no chance of me struggling. That seed's in soil coming back with a harvest. So the purpose of the offering is so people have the opportunity. Now, that's not true here in, at Crossroads, but for many churches, if somebody like me comes to town or my dad, it's the only chance those people have to ever take the gospel, put their money into something that's actually winning souls. When you give in this offering, I played that video for you. It's going to go around the world before the end of next week. There's going to be people saved in the droves and touched in America and overseas within six days, all over the place. Basically, like what used to be for me about five months worth of travel in less than a week. Let, that, let the plane thing be a lesson to you. If you'll move fast, God will start getting tools to you to move even faster. Move, and then the provision comes. Amen? So I want to challenge you to watch what happens when you connect. Your boat will fill with fish without trying. The stuff that's happening for Brother Jesse's happening for me. He told me when I met him two years ago, you got a plane coming. When he told it to me, I had enough sense to say praise the Lord instead of, ah, I don't. but I thought, I thought if someone gave me a plane right now, I'd have to give it back. I can't afford it. I can't afford to have one or house one or pilots. But you hook, who you hook in with determines where you go. Yeah. I'm hooked in with Dr. Rodney Howard Brown. He just took a Boeing business jet. It, what did he do, 10 countries in six weeks in Africa? On a Boeing, on a 19 passenger, actually it's a 30-some passenger jet, but if you take more than 19, you're considered commercial, so he only took 19 people. 
you know, I, I'm, a pe- I, I'm hooked in with people whose boats are filling with fish and then I'm getting the residual. Right. Who you sow with and where you sow with matters. I get nervous for people. You know, we give to the community church where we go. We don't really get fed there. But if we pulled our giving, they wouldn't be able to stay open. If your giving is keeping a ministry going, it needs to fold. You're not God. Can you say amen? So I just want to ask you, what would the Lord speak with you? And if you want to help this preacher, this middle-aged preacher, take the gospel not all the way around the world, but about halfway around the world and back in the next six days. You watch what God will do. Sow a seed that's significant to you from your business or from whatever. And um, I'm going to believe with you that you're going to have a boat sinking, net breaking harvest before the end of this year for helping get the gospel out to people. By the way, that crusade I'm doing with Bishop Day, we're, we're, we're paying for it. We wire the money in the morning, $300,000. I felt to. I'm not coming. Where am I staying? Do you have a car for me? I'm, I'm, I'm paying. If I'm coming, I'm paying. Pay at Cracker Barrel. Pay in Cabinda. Amen? I want the blessing for that crusade. I'm going to have it. People, people get ticked off about Kenneth Copeland. Get ticked off as much as you want. If you give $63 million to Reinhard Bonnke in nine years, you're going to be rich. You start paying for crusades where 2 million people get saved in a week. You're going to get blessed. So you can get your panties, uh, sorry, shorts and a knot as much as you want. Sorry, it slipped. Been hanging around uh, people in Revere, so forgive me. Everybody say, I'm blessed. Say, my children are blessed. So let, let the wicked gnash their teeth. You're going to make a move tonight, and it's going to set your family and your business on a different level. Amen? If you'd like an envelope, lift your hand. They'll hand you an envelope. If you're watching online, revivaltoday.com. You click Give Now. Thank you to everybody that's given. This year, last year, I'm very thankful. Thank you for giving online. Revivaltoday.com. Cash app, dollar sign, RT, give. you want to mail a check, P.O. Box 7, Revival Today, sorry, Revival Today, P.O. Box 7, Prosperity, Pennsylvania, 15329. Thank you for your giving. How many of you watched the minister's conference we did at our church? Did anybody watch the night where I told Bishop Dagg we're going we're to pay for his crusade, 300000 You know, we had $1.2 come in in the next nine, in nine days. That's not a normal. And I told you that last night. Everybody got quiet. So apparently you have that kind of money come in all the time. For me, it was a big deal. What you make happen for others, God makes happen for you. Find the right soil. Yeah, I'm not giving money to missionaries that come back with the same picture of nine English kids in another country that they go taught them how to use a fork and knife or whatever. Give the people that are making impact. Amen? Amen. Give into fertile soil. I'll give you 30 more seconds, and then we'll pray over the offering. You can go home and play uh, board games or whatever. Thank you, Jesus.
If you're 18 to 35, by the way, the offer applies if you're online. Raising ministers of excellence who deliver the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and power. Revival Today Bible Institute. We're accredited, which makes a big difference. I've been asked zero times in 22 years for someone to see my Bible college diploma. You know, if you're a comedian, you're either funny or you're not. If you're a preacher, you're either good or you're not. doesn't matter what degrees you have. But you do need training. So there it is. Look forward to seeing you in January and then again in uh, September for the, the other class. Hold your seat up before the Lord. Father, I thank you for a practical 100-fold return on every seed that's sown tonight. You are a good God. You've been so good this year. Thank you that I believe that we're going to see even better things before they close out of this year. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. I'm going to have Pastor Brian receive the offering. Uh, have you come to the front, give it, tie up any loose ends that I've left. Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, I'm going to let it rip. Then straight to El Paso. I said I'm going to be in three countries, but El, pa El Paso should count as a fourth country. It's on the Juarez border. It's like diet Mexico. Look forward to seeing you in Texas, El Paso and Fort Worth, Pittsburgh. See you in uh, Angola. Could use you with me. It's a Portuguese nation. Você é muito bonita. That means you're very beautiful. I used to not say that in 31 languages because I wanted to be covered, whoever the Lord had for me. Thank you for sharing the Jonathan Shuttlesworth podcast. If you're interested in supporting our mission to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation, please visit revivaltoday.com and click on Give Now to become one of our monthly partners. Thank you in advance. We hope to see you soon.